Welcome to the Snafu Players Series, Episode 3. I'm Pat. Uh, with me today, with today is Jeff. Hello. And our special guest is all the way from across the pond, at least from us anyway. Please welcome Alistair. Hey, thanks guys. Thank you for having us on board. Looking forward to a, a good catch-up. Yeah, well, and I think I've, I've heard of you only by reputation. I've heard you pop into a few other podcasts here and there. Mm-hmm. Heard your name thrown around in the top rankings of many tournaments, and yep. uh, on the Bolt Action Facebook group, if I see you've answered something, I generally don't have to read it. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> I, f- I feel kind of good about that as long as I'm, I'm uh, answering questions in the right frame of mind. Uh, you know, sometimes you have to take them with all with a, a pinch of salt if the the question and asker is uh, actually asking seriously about something. Yeah, and you you always. You try not to be insulting because you get a lot of newer players on there, and you're like, come on, Jesus, guys, this is like on page two, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. very true. I guess the, the sort of stuff I get a bit annoyed at is um, if players actually haven't read the rule book to just recheck themselves. It gets a bit, uh, a little bit frustrating, but as, as you said, there's newer players there, and we've got to welcome them into the community. And, very true. Uh, and, and be patient, if we can be. And then I always let them know they can listen to Snafu Podcast if they want to find out what not to do. <laughs> yeah, there, I mean, there's other podcasts out there that tell you what to do. So, yeah, you've got to, you've got to have the counterpoint somewhere. <laughs> right. So, all right, well, time is precious for all of us. So let's get into this. Let's, let's talk and get to know Alistair a little bit. Um, yeah. Um, How did you get into What's your gaming and hobby background? I mean, obviously you play bolt action at a relatively high level. Yeah, but, well, uh, look, it's, I guess my story isn't you know, isn't that rare. Uh, I'd probably say it's very common, you know, in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, Games Workshop introduced me to what Wargaming was, and, uh, you know, being a, a younger guy, didn't exactly have a huge amount of funds at my dis- uh, disposal, so, you know, it was the skirmish games like Necromunda, um, then that migrated on to more time, and then as I got older, you know, got jobs, money started coming in, Warhammer 40,000, uh, was a thing. Then mm. I ended up, I think, after uni. So that would have been in the sort of late, late, late nineties, early two thousands. Moved to Australia and lived there for uh, ten, twelve years. Oh boy! And yeah, so when I was there, uh, that's when I really sort of started to get into the the tournament scene. I'd okay. actually never been to a tournament ever uh, until I got to Australia. I lived in Melbourne for five years, and they've got a really hot. Uh, Warhammer Forty Thousand scene um, then and, and they now ha- they got a pretty big pod action podcast scene down there too. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've, Seems I've like there's quite a few of them that come out of Melbourne. Is there another city uh, in Australia? Well, if you ask the people from Melbourne, then no, <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> um, they've got their own their own rivalries going on, but it was uh, that's when I got the the interest in large scale organized events and. You know the the one that really stands out, and the very first one 
that I went to would have been the Arcanicon tournament. It's usually held on the Australia Day weekend back in, in January, uh, sort of 24th, 25th, that sort of thing. And it just sort of carried on from there. I have to say, I didn't meet any great success in Warhammer 40,000 at all. Uh, I find it interesting that you get. Uh, does everyone over there say it is forty thousand? Because here in the states, we just simply call it forty k. Um, horses for courses, I guess. Sure, that's sure. just a. You know, I think maybe I'm. Maybe it's because I haven't started drinking my glass of wine yet. I'm being quite. You know, I'm being quite serious or uh, <laughs> polite. You know, give haven't, it another. Haven't, haven't got it, any abbreviations yet. Yeah, yeah. Give it another hour, and I'll be um, cussing and throwing all the all the banter around and it's a silly thing though because um, I've, I've done a lot of podcasts uh, for, for other people's um, channels I often find that I get a little bit of feedback to say that the Scottish accent is quite hard to follow so I try and you know pronounce everything as, as best I can in the, the Queen's English is that the, a safe term to use? I'm not sure uh, <laughs> we, we have, If you've heard us at all we, we don't worry about safe terms too much we, we you know we offend everyone across the board as well as we can. It's good to offend everybody. Yes. Um, but yeah, so that that introduction in Melbourne and Australia wide was it was really good. You know, I met a lot of really good friends, uh, and they introduced me to the idea of organised play and what it meant to be a, a tournament player. But as I said, I never really met with much success, and then. So that was, you said your first tournament was a, a forty thousand down in Melbourne. Warhammer forty thousand in Melbourne. Okay. Yeah. Mid eighties. What 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 edition oh, no, were they on? Back no, no, then? that would have been it's a, that was early two thousand. So that was oh, okay. All right. Fourth fourth edition. Sounds about fourth, right. Yeah. Fourth edition forty k. Yeah. Uh, and I. Oh my god! I can't remember what I took. Maybe it was fifth edition because the Tau code it was Tau and the Tau codex was brand new. And anyway, I'm sure it was. Oh, and, and of course, with with uh, that company, the newest codex is generally the most powerful. Uh, was it even true back then? I'm not sure. If it was, then I embarrassed them um, because I <laughs> I got like one win, one win, two draws, and three losses. But I I had no idea, you know, what a tournament was supposed to be. So that was it was good fun, and I think that was the most important thing to have, and it got me the it got the bug to keep going. And and so then, you know, you wander through lots of other game systems that Games Workshop produced. Uh, not so much being a fanboy, but I guess not not being brave enough to look beyond their sort of little sandbox. Of that's, of that's not too stuff. uncommon from what I've heard. Is that you know you mm -hmm. find one company and you get on their advertising mailer and you know you just see all the other stuff they have and you you check it out. So yeah, and that was that was pretty much. That was pretty much it. Did you and do then, any any fantasy at all? Yeah, yeah. Warhammer Fantasy. Uh, okay. Dipped into the uh, more time skirmish game as well. A uh, little bit of Battlefleet Gothic, but nothing, nothing I would ever say was quite that serious. Jeff, were we just talking about Battlefleet Gothic last night? We were, in fact, because I I loved that game while it existed for us. <laughs> well, for then, me, Battlefleet Gothic reminded me of a, a game that I couldn't play when I was younger and that was based upon the Babylon 5 mm -hmm. uh, TV series and they had their Babylon 5 fleet action and Babylon 5 wars uh, space games and I remember when I was younger uh, 
just the rules were far too complex. The miniatures were extremely hard to come by. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was all passion, but no sort of follow through. Um, you know, in recent years, I've managed to be able to go back and scoop up so many miniatures, all the rules packs, and yeah, it's one of those passion projects that sort of bubbles away in the background. Just that nostalgia itch for you. Oh, ridiculous! Yeah, absolutely <laughs> yeah. ridiculous nostalgia. Um, yeah, I was just uh, today. I was perusing used games at the local gaming store here because they have a whole bunch of them. And I'm like, how far back do some of these games go? And I saw God help me, Fortress America. Oh wow! I'm like, I do not need this game. I simply do not. And I, I walk. I put it back on the shelf and walked away from it. But I'm like, damn! But that game brings me back to board gaming. Holy cow! <laughs> it's really cool when you can uh, when you can get moments like that. But, so after Australia, ended up coming back to Scotland, and that's when. A really classified sort of adult life took over. Uh, met a girl, got married. Um, you know, we moved around Scotland a little bit for for our different jobs and different professions. Uh, I kept kept wargaming, um, and I think by this point we were up to we were up to seventh or eighth edition. It must have been seventh edition of forty k, and that's okay. when we're sort of talking around two thousand thirteen. Yeah, that's around 2013, and that's when the love just dropped off. It all got it all got too much in terms of the competitive edge required for 40k and and the investment, the financial investment. Was, was uh, that uh, before they started doing those, that fine cast experiment? After. After, after okay, yeah, after oh, after fine, after fine after cost, fine as cast. we often called it here. Oh, mate, that was those were dark, dark days. <laughs> Dark days. Here, have three miniatures, hundred and eighteen dollars, and yeah. that would be US. So it's and like they are, and they are <laughs> crap quality. Yeah, but the thing that really got me, it was all, it was when they started doing all these. Um, can't remember the term now, but uh, detachments. All the detachments, you know, you take, you know, five rhinos with five tactical squads, and then you get X amount of stuff for free, or you take you know, these three siege engines, and then they get you all these extra special rules and. And I was playing games at a local club level in Edinburgh, in Scotland. And people were pulling out these detachments. I'm like, where's that? Where is that? I've never seen it, read it, heard of it. And then they're spouting out the source. I'm like, what? And it just, at that point, I knew that it's like, nah, this, this isn't for me. Um, just because the enjoyment, the enjoyment disappeared. Mm -hmm. And if the enjoyment disappears at club level, then... You know, you're not going to find any sort of enjoyment at a tournament or organized event. So, no, that's yeah. that's true. That Agreed. was it. That was the end. And it was at that moment. I remember the guy that that gave me the intro game uh, for Bolt Action, a guy called Andy Meekin, um, you know, local guy to Edinburgh. Okay. And he, it was first He's, edition. He must be your Jeff over there, because Jeff was our introduction <laughs> to Bolt Action. <laughs> <laughs> Andy. I think I'd, I'd been friends with Andy for maybe a year, um, but he was good friends with one of my good friends from a long way back, so we both kind of knew it's like, well, if he likes you, then you must be a good guy. He definitely so, sounds like a, a Scottish Jeff, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> instant, instant trust of opinion. And he had a, a, you know five or six German units, and he just said, I'll, come here, play this game. And... It was a you know half an hour, forty five minutes run through of the basics. This is how you move, shoot, morale, pinning, pinning checks, uh, 
and it, and it just everything just clicked. And it's like, hmm, yes, this this is for me. And then there was a few other guys bobbing around, and we went on to form a Home Guard Radio, which was sure. Oh look, we we tried to do a podcast for first edition, but I think lots of lots of life activity got in the way. Um, yeah, you guys dropped off for well, that was quite a while ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the page is still active, but we haven't. Well, I haven't recorded with them for a while. They do sporadic recording for you know specific purposes, but. That's that's the sort of by and the by, um, but it was that 2013 2014. That's when bolt action really clicked in for me, and yeah, it was it was a big eye opener. It was good fun, and it was it wasn't the first game, the first non Games Workshop game that I played, but it was the first non GW game that I actually loved loved to do. So it sounds like you were just at the tail end of first edition. Hmm. Right, 2014, so 15 is when the second edition came out? Well, it might be, because I, I went... Or do I, went I, to, do I have my dates backwards? I went to at least three three events of first edition. Okay. I feel like I played a lot. So, you know, it could be my dates, it could be could be 2012 going into 2013. It, it all still felt really fresh at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so 16 um, is when, 2000, when, when second edition came out. But yeah, sure. Yeah, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, it's just I always like to have my dates right at some point in the episode. Otherwise, I have to go <coughs> back and add them in. So, yeah. Now, look for me. I I wasn't keeping track because I didn't know that it was going to be a. I didn't know it was going to be a thing. I didn't know it was going to be such a big thing for me. Uh, you know, moving forward because before that, as I was playing 40k in Scotland, I played lots and lots of Blood Bowl. And that's okay. still true today. Like I guess I should have said, Blood Bowl was a constantly running game because again, it was one of those skirmish. Well, you say skirmish; it's more a board game, but you know the model count's really low. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was the next question I was going to have. So you mentioned you played forty thousand, and you yeah. got into bolt action. You still play bolt action today, I presume. Oh, oh yeah. And, oh, what, yeah. and you play Blood Bowl, Blood Bowl, and what other what other miniature game systems do you actually still dabble in actively? Uh, Actively gabble, dabble in it would just be those two, okay. And that is simply down to I try. It's going to sound so strange, but I try not play any more than three game systems actively. Um, I I just can't keep up. I'm keep an amazement up. of your uh, amazement of your discipline because I wish I could do that. It's it, it takes a lot of discipline, believe me. Um, you know, so I've still got all the 40k armies, but I have not played a game of Warhammer 40,000 in. Uh, you know what? Since 2013, whenever I played that first game of um, <laughs> of of full <laughs> action, but the next game that I am going to get into uh, is a song of ice and fire. Oh yeah, by Cool Mini or not? Mm-hmm. Here's a surprise for everyone's listening out there. Jeff has some of those. Yay. I do. Um, for me, though, that was that's purely driven by the the miniatures. Yeah, because I think something that I've I've locked onto early on uh, early on in sort of the hobby is that I am a more a painter than a gamer makes I, sense that's where um, you know I'm talking about those early days of Warhammer 40,000 tournaments uh, not meeting with much success that's success on the battlefield um, all my other success came from best painted players choices 
Okay. Well, and I have to ask a question for Dale. Um, plastic or metal minis? Metal. Oh, that's yeah. why Dale's not on this episode. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I've always got a preference. Preference for metal. Um, okay. So Is it the weight or doing what's what draws you to them? Oh, that's a good one. I think it's just purely the nostalgia of it. Okay, that's fair. So that yeah. checks out. You know, I guess the first miniatures I owned were plastic, but all the best ones I owned in the early 90s were metal. My Necromunda gang were all metal. Uh, Blood Bowl teams were all metal. Yeah, it's just, just my preference. And uh, you know, I look around my hobby room now, and if, if I can have an all-metal bolt action army, I can and do. Uh, Blood Bowl teams, if I can buy them in metal, I can and I do. But then there's also a 3D printer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not one of those guys that refuses to, you know, move with the times. You know, I've obviously got plastic Blood Bowl teams, resin Blood Bowl teams. Um, you know, plastic tanks and everything else, but yeah, I'll be I'll be three D printing quite a bit in the near future. And then, of course, all the uh, A Song of Ice and Fire miniatures are a sort of single piece plastic resin material. So yeah, but the quality of those they're really good, really. They, they look more like with the with the single piece single pose. They look more like uh, game pieces than they do miniatures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was really mm-hmm. nervous. I was really nervous about spending money on them. Um, but as soon as I opened up the first box, handled the first miniature, I was like, yep, this is for me. Okay. They, they were they're really well detailed. Um, so that's the, the that painting hobby aspect that always calls out to me first. And it is just pure dumb luck that I'm actually good at playing bolt action. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Or you know, maybe all your opponents are just enamored by your painting and don't focus or something. Nah, fuck, I've played far too many of them by now. They know that... <laughs> they don't they fall don't for get, that trick anymore? They don't, they don't fall for that shit. Um, but so, yeah, so how far away do you live from Paul Walker? Uh, oh, by car, I'm sure it's about 40 minutes. Okay. He's the only other guy I know up in that area, so... Yeah, now Paul's... Um, you know, for, for all the activity that Paul gets up to within the community he doesn't actually play that many games which is a shame um, I think he has to go to events where he's not doing anything in order to play I mean the only time I ever played him is when he showed up at Adepticon and Jeff yeah, and I got to play right. him and Alan doubles that's the only time he's a pretty yeah. good player no he, he knows what he's doing um, yep. you know, I will never, never call him out on that and I've played him a few times but you know, he doesn't get the opportunity to play locally uh, as often, he, as he said, he's always on the road, um, you know, because he works for Warlord Games now, so he's got to yep. fly the flag for them. So he doesn't often get to just sort of throw down, throw down miniatures and um, and have some fun with the with the local guys, which is a shame. But it's, I guess, it's just part of the world that he he lives in now. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think uh, John Russell, you know, his counterpart over here, kind of runs into the same thing. But the one mm-hmm. time I, I did get him to play a game with me, and we spent more time talking about how he acquired all the different miniatures and what they were dread, rather than playing the game. But, yep. <laughs> you know, John's a salesman, so he's he's always got the gift of gab, which is awesome. Yeah, no, I've met, um, I've had the pleasure of meeting John uh, twice, I think. Okay. I can't exactly remember where. Sometimes would have been in Nottingham, probably, at least twice. Nottingham or there was a, 
a big one-day tournament that used to run in England and Cambridge called the Cambridge Too Far. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, I remember hearing about that one. That used to have quite the draw of players. Oh, yeah. I only got to go once, but there was over 100 players. Yeah. That's one, that's one a level that's insane to me for both yeah, yeah. Oh, it was yeah. I loved it. <clears throat> Absolutely loved the atmosphere. Uh, that was, I want to say, 2018. Um, and I got Best Painted Army at that event. Wow. That's yeah, something awesome. out of 100 and some people. Oh, yeah. I was absolutely blown away. Um, you know, because the, the competition was, it was really tough. Uh, and to even know it that, to even know I was in contention for it was... I felt pretty good, but then when I got the call up uh, and got the award, it was um, you know wow, good. Uh, it was a good yeah. feeling, and it was well, also no good. It was also good to get direct feedback from the judges on the day. You know, they came over and congratulated me, and um, they were kind enough to tell me why the army won against the other army that was in contention, and for them, they highlighted that the the other army that that was in contention, their vehicles were better than mine, and it's like yeah, you're right, they are, not by much but they, they were better and I could concede that, but for them it's like your consistency with your each individual troop infantryman troop unit uh, far surpassed okay, whatever cool. they were, and that was, they were looking at the complete package, not just sort of being wowed by a, you know, a, a fancy painted Panzer IV or you know, they were getting into the nitty gritty of, of the infantry units and I was really glad to hear that because I, I had spent extra time putting, you know, stubble and eyebrows and detail. Eyebrows? Oh yeah, my yeah. lord. Yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. Super Your eyeballs nerd. must be pretty good then. Super painty nerd. Um, but it, it's it's those little things that that I feel make the difference. Um, yeah, and, when, some, when someone's doing a, a judge for a competition level and really getting down and closer than they're normally viewed during play. Yeah, that's that's the kind yeah. of details that I will probably never... Well, I'm going to have to if I keep getting close to these tops and these painting things. I'm going to have to start yeah. doing that stuff. Jesus. <laughs> and it's, but for myself, when I, I look back at the, the transition from you know, that uh, Warhammer 40,000 Games Workshop scale, you know, whatever it was, whatever they refer to it now, it's like 32mm um, heroic, whatever... Heroic plus plus. Is. Yeah, yeah, that, that sort of <laughs> it stuff. Seemed, it seems to be getting larger. Yeah. Mm. Um, but, but transferring my painting habits to the smaller historical scale, um, I just kept doing all the same stuff that I would do. You know, so, you know, you look at these little 28mm bolt action guys that we paint, and, you know, painting the eyes, it's, yep, you go in with the white, then you go in with the black, and then you go in and you redot the white on the black of the eye just to give it that little um, the light flare and, uh, and then you give it the eyebrows and you're like oh mate how small of a paintbrush are you using are you using the tip of a toothpick at this point uh, it's small small whatever it is 0.01 or um, and it's <laughs> and you, get, you, you get that great moment where you're about to dab the paint on and you hold your breath and you go <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep yeah, 100% uh, agree on that. Dear, I fucking sound like such a nerd, but it's it's good to be actually talking about it. So, but that's I guess that's the level that I like to go to with with the miniatures. Okay, um, well that, that answers that that you're definitely a hobby man first before a playing man. 100. percent 
Okay. Absolutely. I... Is that is that what drives the game for you more than anything? Is like I I spent hours painting these guys. I should at least put them on a table and play with them. Yeah, it, it really is. Okay. Um, you know, I there are there are days when I would love to be able to turn up to an event, present my army, and then just walk around for the day drinking beer mm. and, and just talking to folk and not not play a game. You know, for the the the, the I'm not. I'll say stress, but it's it's the good stress of you know having to be mentally challenged. But there's some days when you think, you know what, fuck, look, there's an army. I've spent X hundred of hours painting it. Can I just sit and watch you guys play? Because I really can't be bothered. <laughs> um, you know, there there are days like that. Uh, well, and there so, are there are for sure players that I've known going back to even my fantasy days that didn't know anything about the game. But were such extraordinary painters that they had to enter just to get their prize, mm. and, yeah. and see just seeing those things on the table is just like, yeah. wow. I'm glad I'm glad people like that bring their stuff out to show it off. That's really cool and mm. inspiring too. That's um, that's kind of how a, a song of ice and fire is going to start for me. You know, I've I've got a couple of mates that are going to run me through a game just to show me what the rules are, but yep. in terms of the the miniatures that I paint and form into an army is purely going to be based upon what I think looks really good and what I think I'm going to enjoy painting and the first event I go to I will do I will probably do like the craziest shit you know when you <laughs> when you bump into like a, a fresh bolt action player and you know they're like oh I'll fire this heavy howitzer or oh, direct gun sight over at your squad that said is that hardcover what's hardcover again Oh, do I, need a, I, need a, I need a seven. Yeah, do that. Uh, that that <laughs> yeah. crazy dice roll. It's like you know that any experienced player wouldn't take. But the the amateur guy just goes, yeah, let it fly. I'll be that guy. Whatever, whatever <laughs> the whatever the a song of ice and fire version of that is. Like you know whatever it is. You know, the, oh these ten guys with spears. Yeah, I'm going to charge that fucking dragon. Fuck you. Yeah. I'm that. <laughs> <laughs> And that, and I'll, and the cheer I'll have is at least mine are painted. Fuck you! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like uh, Jeff's notion, except for he, he's like, "Well, that's a terrible idea. Let's try that." Yeah, let's see what happens. Yeah, yeah. this this will be cool. It'll look cool, but yeah. So, all right. Um, so you had mentioned that it was uh, 2014 that you got into bolt action. Uh, what was the most recent tourney you were at? Was that one of the opens over there? Was that a teams thing? What was it that? was the. Scottish Nationals. Okay. So it was a proper, um, properly competitive event. Who uh, put that one on? That was Paul Walker and Craig Brown. Okay, Craig Brown. That's the name I couldn't think of. Yeah, yeah. So that was at a, a local local gaming store in a town called Bathgate, which is very much central Scotland between Glasgow and Edinburgh. If your if your listeners are so inclined to to Google it. <laughs> We've got um, two or three over in that area that might know where it is, and we got lots of people who know how to use Google. So yep, and I'll take yep. your word for it. So <laughs> yeah, just just accept it as. Uh, but this was um, an annual annual event for Scotland, so it's the Scottish Nationals. It's our big two day event that we have, and um, it was twelve fifty points, and it was a single or double generic platoon, and it was. Units from the armies of books and campaign books. If if the units specifically said 
can be used as uh, within a genetic platoon. So, so, so the good rule set. Yeah, very much. Very much the good <laughs> Don't rule say set. that too loud, Pat. <laughs> well, it, it's true to say that you know the two rule sets are the one we've just spoken about, or the the basic rule set of um, yeah. single genetic genetic platoon armies mm-hmm. all only. Yeah. Um, and I, I truly have no preference between the two of them. Yeah. I will play one just as happily as the other. I just I feel that you're leaving so much out of what's been written over the last years if you're not allowing those units into competitive play. Agreed. Yeah. I agree. But at on the other side of that is if you're talking to pure competitive, now you're requiring all opponents to have knowledge of those units and how to be, deal with them. Whereas if you're just saying, hey, it's just these books, okay, they only have to focus on those books. Mm-hmm. I can see both sides of that coin, but my preference is to bring all the stuff in that's been introduced to yeah. keep the game alive. Yeah, and, and I, as I said, I'm happy to play either or, and I would say that the um, Armies of rules pack is tougher because the you know the the options are, are tighter, mm-hmm. so you know at the at and the it favors the Soviets. <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't say so. Okay, I wouldn't say that at all. Um, you know, I guess it's something that we'll probably get. We will definitely will talk about later on. Oh yes, um, yes. You know the different nations and playstyles and, and that sort of thing. But so how'd, how'd you do at the tournament, the Scottish Nationals? Uh, Scottish Nationals. So it was five games, and I went with a. Double German platoon. Uh, I actually, it seemed odd to say, I knew ahead of time there was a few, there was a few things going on in the background for me, and I couldn't take the army that I that I wanted to take, so I had to come up with an alternate, and um, and I knew that I couldn't win with the German army, with the German army that I took. I knew I couldn't win, uh, and I didn't finish fourth. I had three wins, one draw, one loss. Oh, fourth out of how many players? Uh, fourth out of 32? <clears throat> I was going to say, for feeling like you weren't going to win, you did pretty darn good. No, no, I'm. Oh, no, I, don't get me wrong. I knew I wasn't going to be, <laughs> you know, middle of the road or, you know, kicking around the bottom. I knew I was going to be competitive, but I knew mm-hmm. I was just. There was something, whether it was practice or my list wasn't just right there. I knew there was something just missing um, to get me on the podium. And. And it and it turned out to be true. Yeah. Uh, not for lack of fucking trying. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I, was, I was, you know, I was balls deep, you know, trying to get the wins in. But uh, and I actually recorded my biggest ever win in bolt action um, in terms of order dice, twenty one to three. Holy Moses! Round. Oh mate, it was absolute. It was an absolute bloodbath. Uh, the, the twin platoon I had was um, 18, 18 order dice, uh, and I bumped For into Germans. Them. That's pretty good. Holy cow! Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Oh yeah, it was good. It was a good list. Uh, but my opponent was a Japanese horde army of twenty four dice. Okay, oh, uh, had all the tools, you know, bamboo spearmen just popping out everywhere. Uh, they went for twin forward artillery observers. Like, oh mm-hmm. my god. Uh, all the suicide little spear guys, blah blah blah. It was just there was just stuff popping everywhere, and um, you know when you meet that in the first round of a of a tournament, you're like, okay. So it's going to be a li- it's going to be a day like this. Yeah. <laughs> but the cool thing was we all knew it was a day like this. Nobody was holding back. Um, and the thing, my opponent might be listening. He was he was from Denmark. A guy called Mark. He was he was a good opponent, but. 
the problem he had was that I knew how his army played, mm -hmm. and I knew the strategies that he was deploying as he was deploying them, and I just countered. I countered them all. Uh, my dice were not great, but they weren't terrible. His were the same, um, but I just countered. It, w it was like that game of chess. I just knew everything that was gonna he was going to be doing. So I made the opposite play to, to stop it, and then it worked. It worked. So you, you saw you saw his matrix then. Yeah, and but the thing at the end, I I did a debrief with him and talked him through what it was that happened uh, to help him, you know, and, mm -hmm. and for the rest of his tournament because uh, that sort of thing helps if it's down to uh, like strength of schedule. Mm -hmm. Yep, you know, you absolutely. guys know that know that term. Yep. So you know, help your opponents be better for their next games because it'll make you look better in the overall result. Yeah, yep. generally speaking, the guy you beat, you want you want that to be his only loss. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so he took it. He took it on board as a, as a, <laughs> as I debriefed him through. It's like, so when you were over here on this flank and you had these two units and you're backing up there, you did this, this, and this. But the real trick for him, and as we talk about, we will talk about units later on in the podcast. Yep. Uh, I had Brandenburgers. Good guys. Mm -hmm. Yep. Very absolutely. good guys. They are expensive. Um, but they are worth, they are worth the points, and so he had. Uh, I can't pronounce the little jeep equivalent uh, for the Japanese list. He had one of those which was inexperienced, and he had a flamer team in it. It's like, well, you're not getting that on, and he didn't. <laughs> uh, he he had it on outflank. You know, it's a minus two check to bring it on, and he didn't start rolling for it until turn four. Oof. So he never got enough rolls on the dice, and he, he never got it on. Uh, and I think he had oh, whatever. It's boring to talk about a game like that, but it was it was a really hard fought event, and uh, we were really lucky to have uh, really experienced top end players come up from England and Wales, and uh, Bo Mortensen, the Danish captain. He flew over from Denmark with um, I can't remember how many of his his uh, compatriots at least seven including his full WTC team they flew over mm -hmm. for the event as well so wow. there was top top players everywhere you looked uh, so none of my games were, were easy and all of my games were against current or former WTC players um, and my loss, my loss was against another Japanese horde army, a guy called Paul Wickens. I'm sure you'll mm -hmm. see his name pop up quite regularly on the yep. mm -hmm. the European tournament results. And it was one of those great experiences where we both acknowledge the fact that we're really good players. We both can acknowledge the fact that we've got really good lists, but the table and the mission favoured him. Uh, so when when there's such fine finite margins between two players, it's like yep, yeah, you're you've got the advantage here, and um, and that and it and it turned out that way. Uh, again, not for lack of trying. There was no good dice or bad dice on either side, as I recall. Um, but I lost that game as per the mission. But I only lost it fifteen to nine in order dice. That's which close. Might, which might yeah, it's, it's close, and that it kept my um, uh, tiebreaker looking really good. So. No, it was good. Good fun. Great experience. Uh, do you got any other tourn tournaments coming up that you're prepping for? Uh, 
there's a nice local one that will be happening up in Aberdeen. I'm pretty sure it's the end of February or beginning of March. Um, it's called the Northern Lights. Okay. So it's just local local event, and it's a thousand points, armies of generic platoon type thing, mm-hmm. and I will be I will be taking my WTC list to that. Yeah, I gotta make one of those. It's currently it's currently <laughs> under construction. And All right. Well, we we won't ask you to tell us what it is. We don't want you to tip your hand too far. No, that's 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 appreciated. Um, I appreciate that, but, and I, I can't really. But let the speaking of back. armies that you have or play, how many bolt action yeah. armies do you actually own, and how many do you like to play? And is that number um, different to the same? I think it's the same. Yes, it's okay. the same. Definitely the same. So, if we're, I, uh, we take back a little bit in the history of it. The first edition of the game into the second I only had Soviets mm-hmm. and because they're your first army I just started with the, the army box and built everything out of the army box so I had random stuff you know, because I, I didn't know if I was going to be a competitive player or machine gun teams and yeah, anti-tank yeah, rifles MMG team and all that, all that rifles. classic stuff yeah all the good stuff um, and then that collection just grew and grew and grew as as I tried out different units, so I ended up getting like 12 cavalry, more tanks. I had five T-34s at one point, just because, <laughs> you know, Tank Wars was a cool thing, and we played some fun games. Yeah, you don't want to see my Sherman collection. Too much, too many, probably. Oh, at, um, at least six that are painted, some are American, most are British. Too many. Um, but yeah, as that collection grew, uh, I was at an event in Scotland again and they hold a it's all done for charity at the end of the year it's called Winter War and um, you buy raffle tickets and you get obviously prizes raffled to you and sure. I won a box of um, Winter German gear models mm-hmm. and then I said to the guys like cool yep this is my next army I'll have this army here next year and then I did so I again I started the, the German army and the German army just ex- oh yeah look it expanded crazy amounts crazy crazy I'm still looking at it in the cabinet now uh, you know there's like 30 riflemen 20 guys with submachine guns 20 <laughs> guys with assault rifles there's a there's a pack 40 pack 36 medium howitzer heavy howitzer uh, there's a naval warfare, there's a 88, there's bikes, there's heavy field cars, there's trucks, there's two tiger tanks, there's a Panzer IV, a Panzer III, there's just blah, 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 blah. And all this just built up over time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. As, yep. as, oh, as, yeah. As different, as different lists um, started to get used. So have you got the tiger on the table ever? For fun, yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Not competitively. That's crazy. <laughs> but for fun, absolutely. Um, then... I did an American list, and the American list is is built purely for event event play. Mm-hmm. So there was no sort of what looking around the the model shop thinking, "Oh, that looks miniatures cool." That's yep, yep. It was very targeted, specific um, miniatures that were bought, painted for for gameplay, and you know, with COVID and. Restrictions. They never. They haven't had as much of a run out as possible, but they did. They did get a run out at a team event in England this year called the um, Nations Cup. It was run by um, 
Oh shit. His name's gone. Russell Wright. <laughs> I was, was, was going to say, uh, it's one of the guy that Reese talks to all the time. Who's yep. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Russell yeah. Wright. Um, yeah, there you go. And they got a run out down there, and uh, again, it was like it was top end events, uh, top end players, top end lists, and they went four wins and a loss. And they also scooped up Best Painted, which was really good. Nice. Very happy to see that. Um, and then, so with the Germans. I further expanded them out, so I also use them as Romanians. Sure, um, that, that's a thing. The equipment's the same, so yep. I, I enjoy using the Romanian list quite a bit. And I've taken them to it was a doubles event, and it was one of those doubles events where uh, both players get five hundred points, or you know, you, you get to split a thousand points. You put together your lists, and mm. you each get your nations. Um, army benefits so myself and my buddy a guy called Ant Purdy we both went Romanian so we, we created this fucking absolutely <laughs> lethal Romanian gun line because we both got uh, you both got your special rules the free artillery Jesus. Oh, yeah, God. Yeah, we, bo- we both got our free medium howitzer <laughs> oh no <laughs> yeah it was absolutely unreal um, so we just lined up God what was it two medium howitzers two heavy howitzers two heavy mortars um, I'm sure one of us. Well, then you get uh, your German support. Yeah, yeah. One of us took a naval warfare, and <laughs> I can't remember what it was. So, but we just lined up this horrific, horrific gun line, and then just fired. <laughs> just, it was like a World War One army. It was just like fire, 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 and then we had infantry squads just lurking behind. So as soon as anybody got close, it's like right, just run out and stab them. <laughs> um, it, was, it was pretty badass. Uh, wow. So we, we won that event, and um, and I picked up best painted as well for the the Germans, which was which was good. But I think the point of my story here at this point, uh, when I look back at the Russians, I sold them all this year. I sold the entire collection as one job lot, just getting them out the door. Okay. Uh, hmm. And the reason for that was that. I was using them so I was using so few of the other models, you know, because it boiled down to right. This is the tournament list, or this is the this is the most competitive list I can make from my own collection. Uh, and also, it was the first um, it was the first army that I painted for bolt action. And I wasn't I wasn't really used to historical miniatures, or yeah, I, I think I can honestly say that when I look back at them, they were just they were just plain pieces at that point. I didn't okay. really care enough about them. Whereas, as soon as I started the German army and every other army since then, I the models meant something. They were they were. I, I place value upon them other than just the gaming piece. So yeah, I think that's okay. mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's true. That's there's a there's an evolution that comes with that as you collect more pieces. I, I think I can look back at. The first British army I had, and I, my, I wouldn't put them on the table again. I, I don't know why I still have them. You know, yeah. I've, pra- I've painted several replacements since then, but yeah, it, it's a, again. Well, I came from fantasy, so you know things were a little more color and pop, and now you're in this historical, all the muted colors, and everything's close to the same, but not quite the same. You, you know, it's the subtle differences. Yep. Yeah, very much so. so. Um, but at the moment, for that, uh, the American list I've been using, I've, I've really enjoyed. Um, because it was built specifically for 
for for tournament play. Uh, very streamlined, and I've got to know it. Even though I haven't got to take it to too many events, um, I've got to know it really, really well, and I'm really, really comfortable. And it it was going to be my um, WTC list for 2020, but obviously that event got binned, so you know it's a bit of a shame. Yeah. Hey, yeah, yeah. I still got my my voucher for Aer Lingus. You know, use that up <laughs> this year. Yeah, hell yeah. Well, I mean, it's like damn near nine hundred bucks for Christ's sake. Can't let that exactly. go to waste. <laughs> nope. Exactly. It's a lot of cash coming from that side of the pond. Yeah, you guys, you guys have a little deduct uh, as far as getting there. Yeah, from what you do, a bit quicker, but yeah, <laughs> a bit quicker, <laughs> a little bit quicker, just a little. Uh, so. Uh, you, you mentioned the gun line. You mentioned Americans. Those both play very differently. What, what's your what's your favorite play style? What, what ins and outs do you see coming from them? Is when play style. My own play style. No, I, I don't think I have a play style. Specific. I don't. There's a actually a really tricky question to answer. Well, thank you. I, <laughs> I, 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 I try to come up on. No, no, I know the answer, but I'm trying to get it out. With a good vocabulary, <laughs> if there are if there are players out there that are listening to this podcast, and I know it's part of a series of, of podcasts with competitive players, that I don't believe a player can impose their style upon any army and make it work. Each each army, each nation, lends itself more or less to specific play styles, mm-hmm. and you have to look to them. So I guess the last the last army I mentioned was the American army, and their their biggest special rule is the move and fire rule for their infantry weapons, for their rifle based weapons. So you can move and there's no penalty for 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 that. Yep. So when I put together the U.S. list that I that I run, uh, there's only one static element in it, and that's uh, a multi launcher. And that's mm-hmm. 52 points in experience. It is purely a throwaway unit that might afford me a little bit of board control. Mm-hmm. After that, though, it's infantry squads on the move. It's engineers in uh, three-quarter ton Dodge trucks. It's flamer yep. team and jeep. It's a armored car jeep. It's a veteran 105 Sherman. It's moving. Everything's moving. The officer team that I've got, they're armed with rifles because they're moving. Yeah. So I want to take advantage of that. This, I've got a sniper team, but they've both got submachine guns. So if there's no good shot, or if there's nothing truly worthwhile, they're moving. Uh, so whenever I play the US, I'm leaning into their their special rules, and it's a, a, a more like a rapid dominance of the table. Uh, yes, US. Yes. I'd agree with that. And both yeah. Jeff and I have played, uh, we have very similar as to what you had talked about there. <coughs> and Yeah. Yep. It's, a, it's a rapid dominance of the table uh, to limit your opponent's movement and to kill and engage and kill but not not in close combat it's engage them in, in weapons fire try and yep. pin them down and um, and win the game by that so it, it's a very different style uh, to say when I play the Germans <laughs> when I play with my German army I I truly look at it like I'm playing American football, so I run an offensive and a defensive team. The armies it almost splits itself into two, so there'll be a team that sits at the back, taking care of um, the back line, 
or just sort of creeping out to secure any objectives and that will be made up of a... Uh, it's not made up of idiots you know, there'll still be a multi-launcher there, there'll be a heavy mortar back there uh, there'll also be a, a good veteran unit, a veteran infantry unit armed with just rifles back there so that they can actually engage with anything that comes close to them and then the offensive team out the front uh, is where you'll find your engineers, flamethrowers, heavy field car, or they'll be loaded up into a, a truck with with a medium machine gun, and mm -hmm. it'll be a mix yep. a mix of regular and veteran squads out the front. Um, so they 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 do act very independently of each other whenever I play the German army, and that was true of. Um, that was true again when I played in the Scottish Nationals. Um, I was very much aware that my, my defensive team were... <laughs> um, there was three multi-launchers in the <laughs> There was three <laughs> multi-launchers in the back. One of them was a Neville Werfer, but two of them were the... Oh, the little Renault UE... Oh, is that the truck with the boxes on the side? No, no, no. No, no, that's... No, 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 no. These, yeah. these, were, these were proper... Mm -hmm. Armour Seven fully enclosed tanks, but they're the little okay. sort of French. Oh. <laughs> they're the, the French artillery tractors that they put the multi launcher set on, right? That's the ones. Two of them, yep. inexperienced, ninety-two points each. Fucking bargain. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely brilliant. But but they were the defensive team, and then there was the offensive team that were were out in front. Um, and then when you know talk about when I played with the Soviets, the the playstyle of the Soviets, they've got more of the the toolbox of balance. Agreed. Uh, and but because you get that free unit, you get that free twelve-man unit. You have to decide. This sounds so odd, but it won't maybe to the listeners. But what is it you're going to do with them? Are they going to go in a truck? Are they going to sit in your back line and go down and hide? Are they going to advance forward a little bit and shoot their guns in the air and look kind of dangerous? Mm -hmm. um, are you going to bother spending, you know, the fifteen points to give them a commissar to help them along? Uh, and that's and that's why the Soviets, I guess, can go in any direction that you need to. And that's why I, I, I'm sure that's why they're still a very popular competitive army, um, because you can, to a greater extent, impose your style upon them. But then you've all you've always got this twelve-man unit that you wonder. What do I do with you? Do I use you aggressively, or are you a defensive tool, or are you just sending objectives? Or? Is it is it a, is it a tar pit, or is it an order dice to protect? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and with the Soviets as well. I guess I've talked, I've spoken about playstyle, but then you've got to also try and develop out your order dice count. How many order dice do you like playing with? You know, my thousand point US list is fourteen, which is just perfect for me. It's, that is just the right amount. Um, if I take a thousand point German list, it also sits around thirteen, fourteen dice. Again, that's that's where I like to be. But for the Soviets, you can you can do a horde list at a thousand points and get twenty dice plus. I've, I've right. seen some lists that are just horror stories, and and I tried them. I, I tried them out, and uh, <laughs> I just could not make them work. I could not. My head just could not comprehend. You know, you've got twenty-two order dice in the bag, 
it's a thousand point game. It's like, what the fuck do I do with this? Who's this game? Even just the <laughs> yeah. management of what unit had moved. I'm like, this is shit. Hated it. Is that is that common in the meta that you in, up there that you guys have? I mean, you're talking about you know the 22 order dice Russian German uh, Japanese horde list. Your 18 order dice German list. I mean, that's from from my play style and from where I'm used to seeing. That's a ridiculous amount of order dice. Right. Is that common? Well, those. Well, I guess those ones were were focused at the 1250 point level. Okay. Um, most, I would say, all our local tournaments are a thousand points, and you won't see, you wouldn't see an army over 16 order dice locally at a thousand points. That's still a lot. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you you won't see them over 16, and and if we're talking about the the competitive players, even if it's sort of players from the middle, upper, and top order, uh, you wouldn't see anything less than 12. Hmm. Okay, that's... How does that, how does that, how does that track with the other, the other interviews you've conducted already? I'm, obviously I haven't, I haven't listened to any, sadly, but... Uh, that's, I think the 12 to, 12 to 16 is, is rapidly pulling into the norm for a thousand points. Yep. Yeah. With the, with the Soviet and Japanese exceptions being significantly higher. higher. Yeah. Yes, it, with those two armies you can do it, but I think, you know, from my own little world of Scotland only, you know, I've I've got experience, you know, of, of the international play level, but locally within Scotland, nobody really likes to to get into that that big order dice count. The thing is, though, a lot of us have tried and played it, and we found that our opponents are either too good for it or we ourselves as players aren't the right players for it. We don't have the right mentality. And that's mm-hmm. very much where I fall into. Um, I've tried the, the big dice lists and it's just... no. That's, especially if you're talking a two or two and a half hour time cap. That's yeah. that's a lot of logistics to keep track of, like you said. And you it's, know, It's a lot of logistics and purely from the enjoyment factor. I never didn't enjoy it. And enjoy playing with them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we talked a little bit about the reinforced platoon, books, armies of, and then mm-hmm. adding in those that are allowed. Uh, what are your What are your thoughts versus that type of stuff in theater selectors? Mate, it's been that long since I've played a theater selector game. I I can't even remember. <laughs> I if you looking at a looking at a local area, so Scotland being its own country, but it's still a local area in the sort of scale of the United States. Um, I would like to see tournament organisers get together to, to create a, I guess, a nice calendar of events with variety, and it's something that you know a few of us have spoken about, that how cool would it be to go to an event that was theatre selector only, but a each theatre selector could only use once and you got to pick it when you paid and bought your ticket. And then that's it. It's taken. You know, so that you don't have oh. a whole event. You don't have a whole event full of Russian silo height. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you've got one guy that has it. Okay. Yeah, you've got one guy that everybody hates. Yeah, <laughs> then, right. Um, but it'd be nice to have a, a nice balance throughout a, a, a tournament season. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an interesting idea. I'm, I really I might, like that I might, idea. I might swipe that one. Yeah. Oh, go for it. I mean, the cool thing is, it's. It, it, I don't know how much balance it would ever bring 
at the event, but it would drive sales, it would drive fast sales, you know, yeah. tickets out, yeah. yep, want to get that one, get that, get that, get that. Um, well, I, I think it'd be very fun, and sometimes that's what you're really looking for, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that again, if you've got a nice tournament calendar that there's, these are the fun events, these are the serious events, you know, mm-hmm. these are events for beginners, so you know, all you competitive players, if you're going to turn up, bring, you know, stupid lists. You know, stupid lists that are fun, not tooled up to the max. Um, right. So I'd like, I'd like to see it all on balance. Um, but I guess, look, my my preference is competitive play, um, mm-hmm. and I like to see it narrowed down to generic platoons. You know, one, two, three, as long as it's generic platoons. And as I mentioned previously, I don't, I don't have a great preference on. If it's armies of or theater books, um, just okay. as long as it's you know well thought out with a good mission pack, makes sense. Yep. <laughs> All right. So I think you've kind of touched on this uh, your approach to competitive play in general and prep to prepping for tournament. But let's let's talk about your list design. What are your auto includes? What you know what you mentioned. You're targeting the 14 order dice, the 12 to 16 range. Yeah. But what what units and what makes them tick, and vehicles yep. that you need to have. It's. Um, well, I've spoken a little bit about the specifics of, of the different nations, but. You know there are some. There are currently some repetitive. Types of units that all, all the armies I've got do have. Um, probably with the exception of the Romanians and you know what, this is where I'm going to interject with something to the, mm-hmm. to the competitive listeners of the middle order who are trying to get better I'll tell you right now multi-launchers are not the way forward at the moment it seems to be <laughs> a common theme though yes it does and I'm, I, I truly will get back to my list design stuff but I would like to highlight that Nations Cup, where I was at, a very competitive tournament. I placed individually in the top three. I, f- I finished third. Uh, one of my fellow teammates finished second, and one of the Team England guys finished first. And first place was Japanese. Second place was Bulgarian. And oh, third nice. place, yeah, yeah, third place was myself as American. And there was only one multi launcher in the top three, and that was mine. I, I've often yeah. said that I think I feel taking multi launchers multi launchers is, is kind of a trap. They give you something, but they don't. They're not a must have mm-hmm. for the win. Uh, I mentioned the Scottish Nationals. This was super competitive. Um, everybody was there to play, and in the top three, there were no multi launchers at all. It was Poland, Germany. Japan, first, second, third. Not a single multi launcher was there. Huh. Um, I truly think players of the of the middle order that are trying to get better need to need to understand that they're not net listing isn't a thing for bolt action. It's the uh, unless you're picking up the British paratroopers and thinking that's a thing. Yeah, that's another thing to we might get into uh, a little bit later on. <laughs> um, but it's it's the player, it's the player that makes the difference. Player mm-hmm. and practice. Um, 
So where where do you weigh for veterancy on your troops? It's it's down to working out what their tasks are. So I'm going to use my Americans as a as a way to, to sort of highlight that. The the multi launcher is inexperienced. Yes, there is one, and I know what I've just said about not taking one, but you know, still a pretty good piece. Um, but it's inexperienced because it doesn't need to be any better than that. Mm-hmm. If I lose it, which I have done, I've lost it in the first turn to you know prep bombardments or lucky heavy how um, lucky you know mortar shots and that stuff. It's fine. Things that you want to stay on the table for a long time to, to have an impact. Um, veteran sniper. I would say, you know, if you're going to take a sniper, make him a veteran, just so he can last the pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you think about all the other factors about you know rolling to you know small team, hard cover, is he going to go down or not? And then he's a veteran as well. It's like, Phew. and is he a veteran in a building? So he can count on sixes. Like, yeah. So make him a veteran. Okay. If you're yeah. if you're inclined to have units that are going to be assaulting actual proper close combat, make them a veteran. There's no point charging unless it's a horde. There's no point charging with regulars or inexperienced. Make them veterans so that they can last the pace. Um, so, looking at my American list, the entire core troops are all regular. As I said, their ability to move and fire, and they're not designed to get into close combat. Uh, the sniper's a veteran, because I want him to stick around and actually do some good work. So it's there's not a huge spread of um, you know veterancy outside of regular for the for the US Army. When it comes to playing with the Germans, I have got as I said I've got an offensive defensive type of play with them. The offensive team are veterans. They are gonna be um, veteran Falschenjäger predominantly. Uh, if I've got access to the theatre books, Brandenburgers, um, I've had I've had a few people comment to me that why do I have them up the front, you know, actively involved in, in the battle? Why are they not sitting back? It's like, well, I'm not going to have a 115 point unit sitting back just to get the benefit. They're they're fanatic. They've got <laughs> submachine guns. Right. They've, got, they've got Panzerfaust. They can get in and you know kick kick heads in. So they're that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, towards the back line, if I don't have the option to take inexperienced units for the Germans, they'll be they'll be stripped down to bare basic of you know regular man with rifle, um, if if possible. Mm-hmm. So that's that's that play. Uh, so for for that inexperienced regular veteran, it's making sure you you don't spend points where you don't have to. Uh, and I saw a great example of this from I've mentioned him already, Russell Russell Wright. He, mm-hmm. I played against him at the Nations Cup, and he had a British army, and he had you know a squad of ten inexperienced riflemen. They were sitting in his back line. He had an inexperienced um, medium mortar in his back line, but then he had you know veteran paratroopers that were out there, all submachine guns. They were tooled up to the max, so he had this great balance of. Know, he didn't expose his inexperienced units to fire uh, until, I, until I killed everybody else then I was <laughs> then they had no choice <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. It, all, it all went wrong pretty quick for him sadly um, but he had this great balance and that's what that's what I strive for as well if it's um, 
if it's possible. And then for the next army that I'm doing for the WTC, uh, it's very similar. I've got some inexperienced, some regular, but then I've got a core of veteran troops that will be doing the, the bulk of the killing. Uh, and I'm applying this... It's actually funny now I think about it. I'm applying the American theory to them. And then oh I'm going for full mobility, rapid dominance with them. And... I can't really say now what I'm not taking because then that'll give away what I am taking. So I'll yeah. be <laughs> don't do that. Yeah, we'll, we'll let you. We'll let you back out of that one. Yep. Yeah, yeah, back out of that one. But that's that's my theory on the sort of inexperienced regular vet. But mm. every every list I've put together that I've played in bolt action, sniper, veteran sniper, you've got to have one. I can hear the internet light up about it. Oh, I haven't they never, put a, they never miss, they never hit. Oh, why they're useless! Like I've never, I haven't, I haven't run a sniper in two years. How do you feel about that? I, I don't miss them because I don't use them. When I did use them, they didn't do anything for me, so I stopped using them. I, I think that's also a little bit reflective of the meta we play in, where small teams aren't as prevalent here because everyone kind of got. <clears throat> Their knickers in a twist about snipers, so people just stop fielding small teams. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, so the, the so targets all, kind of get absorbed. All all small teams, so including like flamer teams and all that sort of stuff. Uh, almost every flamethrower has been moved into a engineering squad that I've seen in the last couple of years here. Yep. See, that's that's crazy. You know, I look back at um, oh, some of the more the more recent games the. The game I played with my Germans against Paul Wickens' um, twin platoon Japanese army, he had three inexperienced heavy mortars. And yeah. it was fucking unreal. Pow, 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 dead, dead, dead. That <laughs> 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 was brilliant. He also had two snipers shooting my sniper back, but my sniper was veteran, so he was he was hacking the pace. But mm-hmm. I guess then, you know, that's a, a meta type call that. Small teams are still prevalent in in the UK, Europe. So okay. snipers are still relevant. They're still relevant to take. All right. Well, yeah. then maybe my secret project list will work out then. <laughs> oh, I actually um, <clears throat> for the for the Scottish Nationals, I almost took a Romanian gunline list with three snipers in it. Oish. Yeah. It was the the third. It was a twin platoon, but the third sniper was the German auxiliary unit. I was going to buy in. It was um, it was an eighteen dice list, and I had eight forward deploying units. That included spotters, of course. So there was five spotters and three snipers. But I was going to win that forward deploying deployment game. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then the three snipers. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the that's the thing too. Is I think there was. Uh, a, a point where I was doing my last WTC list, which was which was supposed to be Britain's for 2020, but we all know what happened there. And I didn't have much for the forward deployment fight, so I just pulled everything out of it and said, "I'm okay. That's not a phase of the game I can compete in." Then, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that's that's a good that's a good theory to, to run on. If you, if you're if you're not going to be able to get the sniper where you need him to be, because you know you're just not going to have the right number. Yep. Then it's just it's something that's exposing a weakness yeah. to you. So, 
Yeah. That, that was my theory, whatever it makes sense or not, I guess. You know, I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. No, no. <clears throat> I mean, you've got to test these things out, and, and you can only do... I guess you can only fight what's in front of you. Right. You know, if, if those are the games that you're experiencing, that's going to guide you towards, um, you know, developing it as that sort of player. And I, I touched on it in retrospect. Um, we don't, within Scotland, we don't play big dice armies uh, because none of us really like it. Mm-hmm. You know, as players, we don't enjoy playing with them and we don't often enjoy playing against them. You know, so we don't we lack we lack that. I'm not going to say we lack that experience, but you know, we could be sharper at it. A bunch um, of five man squads running around, double platoons. Yeah, we, just not a thing. <laughs> um, but it's yeah, it's it's good to yeah, it's good to hear what other people are saying, and that's and that's the whole purpose of this podcast series that you're doing. And I'm, I'm oh, so you, if you figured that out then, huh? Well, as as we're going <laughs> along. <laughs> Uh, but looking looking beyond, I guess I've really spoken about infantry quite a bit, and the different infantry choices. If we're sort of looking towards the the other bits of kit, the vehicles and transports, um, I guess you know what I spoke about the Romanians, but I suppose the French can do it. Like the gun line, you mm-hmm. don't really have any transports beyond the toes. Um, well, the French have one of the only enclosed 7-plus armored transports. Never see it, though. Really? Yeah, okay. never see it. I've, I've, I've seen it. Uh, I don't see a lot of French lists, but at least half the French lists that aren't Jeffs usually have one in them. True. Yeah. I guess the only French lists I ever see are sort of infantry horde. Or late U.S. Up. Late U.S.? Well, if, if they're late U.S., then they're just U.S. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just not cut around here. You can You can paint them up as French, but that's an American army. Yep, <laughs> American rules don't, Abs- don't, don't, don't <clears throat> absolutely right. Don't get a getter. Um, but the the transportation wise, I am super envious of the Brits. Uh, the Bren carrier, Universal carrier, is by far the best transport. Uh, once you give it the Pintle Mount LMG, seventy points, armor seven, um, tracked. Yep. Okay, you can only carry ca- five carries, carries five Gurkhas, which is just as many Gurkhas as you need. Yeah, that's all you need. <laughs> that's all you need. You're not wrong. Or, or if you're, um, you know, the Soviets, they carry your five uh, veteran engineers with two Panzerfaust and a flamethrower. That's in the in the body armor. Well, that's that, I think that's propaganda coming out of South Africa. I'm talking about guys. Yeah, Gordon, yeah. you know as well, mate. Um, <laughs> I chat to Gordon quite a bit. He's he's a, he's a good bloke, but he's yeah he's pushing the. He's very the, passionate about his bolt action. That's that's for he's sure. A good, he's a good man, and he also alluded to me that he might be moving to Scotland at some point in the future. Oh boy, which would be absolutely badass for us. It'd be great to have a guy like Gordon around. But um, yeah, look, you know what the the engineers with the body armor sure if you want if you want to splash the points going up <sighs> five points of a guy I just, I just don't see 21 points of body out there that's just oof. yeah I know I'm the same I'm the same but the universal carrier I believe if you've got access to it yeah you should definitely try and use that um, yeah I was disappointed the US don't ever get access to it but I guess it was a British thing well, yeah, very much yeah. a British thing yeah yep. 
very much a British thing. I have scoured, scoured the lists, and you know what? There's um, there's a theatre selector out of, I think it's Operation Gigant or Sea Lion, where the Germans get access to Universal Carriers. Oh no. Yeah, but but they're in theatre selectors, so they don't get access to much much else that's good. You know, it's all sort of nineteen forty. Uh, rifles, LMGs, um, flying Panzer ones, but the fact that they got access to them, um, I thought was pretty good. Mm-hmm. But, but if look if we're, I guess I am talking transports, Soviets, couple of universal carriers to get your your veterans about in, um, are a must have. If we're talking tanks for the Soviets, you know it's just look the the M3 early war Stuart it's be stupid not to mention it. It's got, you know, the LMGs, the MMGs. It's got the light anti-tank gun. It's 140 points, 130. Sorry, yeah, yep. yep. 140 yep. if you buy it with with uh, Reggie. And that's that's down to your own personal choice. Um, I, I can't here. argue with that. I may or may not have a list that has at least two of them in there. So you know, <laughs> oh, it's just it is what it is. They're good. They're good. Well pointed. Um, uh, well, especially so when you're considering it's an infantry level game. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, they're, they're good tanks. They're good transports. I, my favourite transport though is still the Dodge three quarter ton truck for the Americans because yes. it's just got that perfect number of eight. Yep. Mm-hmm. I just love that bits. <clears throat> it's got eight, eight guys. Yep. Um, you know, so the 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 squads of eight engineers that I run about in them is great, but then there's those other. There's other times when you need to mix up the mission, and you can. I've got a uh, three six-man infantry squads with two bars, so you can mix up what goes in the trucks. Uh, I'm sure I've played a couple of games of envelopment, so into the truck went a six-man squad and my um, officer team, and then they're off. Yeah, the board. So you can mix up what's in it, and I would love. In the same way that you'd love the Americans to have the, the the universal carrier, I would love for the Germans to have access to a Dodge three quarter ton. Just or just any reasonable transport. Mm, yeah, the, the, three, the three quarter tons in a real sweet spot, though. Yeah, it is. It really is. And I don't think there's a lot in the Germans that can really. The car is like only carries five or six guys. Six heavy field car carries. Yeah, heavy, yeah. 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 So that's little light in most cases. And but yeah, you're right. Doesn't have can't take the lot gun, I don't think. Yeah, it doesn't have the option on a gun either. So mm-hmm. That's that's one of the drawbacks of the German army, and that's maybe something that I, I guess I alluded to myself that. I knew I couldn't win with the list because I had two heavy field. No, I had yeah, I had two heavy field cars in it. Um, well, speaking of alluding to that, which is going to be one of our next subjects, uh, we've been rambling on here for well over an hour. When we take a quick break, grab a refresher, yeah. and then when we come back, we'll talk about uh, how you tear up all the armies, and uh, maybe we'll look at a special scenario, a specific scenario too. Cool, sweet. All right, Thank so you. we'll be back in just a couple minutes. No worries.
Hope you enjoyed the brief music. Um, if you haven't picked up on it, we're in episode three, and all the music is the same for this entire player series, and it's only half of the songs because well, you just gave the away the here. you just gave away the game there, man. I know, but it also is a lot less work for me to try and find different music all the time. So <laughs> that works. Well, it's it's probably a good thing that you don't ask your guests what their sort of favorite music is because anything anything could happen with that sort of stuff. Uh, we made that mistake mistake with John Russell a couple times. Yeah, oh, really. Yeah, creative What's, choices. What yep. does he like? Well, fortunately, he sticks to World War II, but it always seems to be something that we played like two episodes prior. Mm-hmm. Ah, right. So I'm not sure if that's a subconscious thing that he, you know, happens to listen in here and picks those, or if he actually likes those and doesn't listen. So I'm not sure which way that goes. Little of a, little b, I'd guess. Yeah, probably true. So, all right. Well, let's let's move on here. Time is precious for all of us, and uh, Alistair's threatened his second glass of wine, which should be very entertaining in a bit here. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm curious about how you rate all the armies in bolt action. What is your your S tier armies? We'll start with that, and we'll go through all of them. S tier, as in the top. Tier. As as in the top. S is in the, the creme, top. The creme de la creme. Creme de la creme. Top tiered armies would be the Soviets and the British. Okay. They would be the only two I would put in that top tier. Okay. And what makes them top tier armies? Uh, it's you look at the Soviets. Well, first of all, they get a hundred, virtually a hundred points for free in an infantry squad. Uh, so already you've got an order dice before you even start writing your list. Mm-hmm. And then it's the access that they've got because the great thing about you know when we talk about competitive play on this entire podcast, nobody has mentioned history because it's irrelevant in competitive play. Don't even bother trying to bring it in or dress it up as historically accurate uh, you look at the wide sort of catalogue of infantry units, tanks artillery pieces and other equipment that the Soviets have access to and they can put together lists that are hoard or you know very small in terms of their units if they're all veteran and um, they're backed up by a variety of tanks and um, or sort of wheeled armoured cars that are relatively cheap Mm -hmm. so you can put together an excellent list with the Soviets uh, and get your your bang for your buck again when you look at the Brits you get your free forward artillery observer, he's a great unit for board control and then you start digging into the other the other options they've got and actually, sorry, to backtrack to the Soviets the one weakness they've got and I hope I'm not wrong in this, is they don't have access to any um, stubborn paratroopers. There's none in the list. <clears throat> Am I the right base, or wrong? The base book, I don't think so. I base, think. Book, base book, that's correct. Uh, they have since put in a fact or whatever added that all paratroopers may become stubborn for one right. point. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yep. So that's almost true. <laughs> almost true. Um, but then when you look at the Brits... Again, they start with a free order dice, being their forward artillery observer, good unit. And then you dig into the, the transports, universal carrier I've mentioned, is, is excellent. And that that's 
crosses over with the Soviets as well. Uh, the best armoured car in the entire game, bang for buck, is the Staghound. Mm. And the Brits get access to that. It basically, uh, it's a wheeled tank. Yep, exa- exactly. It's a wheeled tank um, that doesn't take up the tank slot. Yep. And in the tank slot, you'll have a Stuart. So, you know, it's an exceptionally good armoured car to have. And then they've also got access to the, you know, extremely good veteran units uh, and the Gurkhas and the Gurkha paratroopers. If you're what, what are these Gurkhas you're talking about? Oh, they're really rare. You hardly ever see them, but right, not yeah, many sure. people know about them. Never heard of them, yeah. Yeah, well, people listening to this podcast will thank us for introducing them to them. Right? Yeah, <laughs> check, check out these Gurkhas. They're, yeah. they're, they're pretty good, I hear. Spell with a letter J. Go get them. <laughs> <laughs> But also, if the Brits have got access to their sort of expanded catalogue, um, they've got the land mattress as well. Um, so they've got an, a, a multi launcher and the artillery piece. If not, it's the, oh, we get this right, the 25 pounder, which can awesome fire. Awesome gun. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the one. Yep, I the versatile. Any, yep, the, the versatility of it is just phenomenal. So both those lists sit at the top tier, and if there are and there will be WTC captains listening, and maybe future WTC players, you know, listening. So the land mattress, I don't believe, is a WTC option because that's no, not an army no, self. Yeah, that's that comes out of one of the earlier it's campaign books. Ground Europe or Battlefield yep. Europe, whatever it's called. Yep, yep. Battleground mm-hmm. Europe. Um, but all teams probably, truly should have a British and Soviet list. They really should. Yep. No no argument yep. on that one. Nope, none for me either. Um, but yeah, so in, in the top tier I only place those two. Okay. Uh, so what, uh, what about your A tier? Next step the down. S- the next step down, the second tier, um, you can slot in Germany, Japan, Quite happily, I mm, see they're super specific when you get into some of the minor powers. But yeah, Finland are in there. Okay, that Finland are down to the player. Yeah, I, I, I think a good player can, can will bump or the player can bump these up down up yep. or down yep. one step pretty easily. Yeah, but I would put Finland in that second tier. Okay, and. That's all I would leave in there. And so, what's keeping what's keeping uh, Japan out of the S tier? Oh no, they're in there. The, you just had them in there? Yeah, you had them in the A tier. So oh, what's, what's keeping out, what's, what's keeping, keeping Japan from going up tier? one? What's, what's keeping them out of the top tier? Yeah, what are they missing? Um, is it the free units? I don't think it is. It's no, their no. armored options. Too, too poor. It's their okay. transport options. Are too poor. Uh, um, yeah, it's just it's their armor and transport. Yeah, all really those, are all, them. those are fair. Yep. Yep. Uh, and when you look at the, I guess if you're, you know, if you're going horde style with them, well, the Soviets can do that, and they get a free unit. Right. So you know, that's that's that. Uh, that's what for me pulls Japan back into the the, the second tier. Still exceptionally good, but right. 
not not talk to your Darwin. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what keeps Germany in that bottom tier? Again, maybe the transport options, but I would almost I, say what what keeps Germany in A and not shoved down to B. <laughs> what's what's pulling them up? That's just mm-hmm. that's my personal. I don't let me influence I'm, you there. I think that's quite mean. Looking at my two shelves of beautifully German models. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, we've already acknowledged that you're an excellent player, so that certainly might be some of your playability is bringing them it, up to the A tier you know for you. You're right; it, it could be, it could be. Um, but I know that there's some other, there's some other really good German players in, in Scotland that have also managed to pull them up, uh, pull them up well. And I know they've got a poor reputation. There's something, there's something about their points cost throughout the entire army. That's 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 pulling them back from being higher than they are, uh, and I I I truly like like I said earlier in the podcast when I took this German list to the Scottish Nationals, I knew I couldn't win, but I couldn't put my finger on it, and I mm-hmm. still can't put my finger on it. There's just something, and there's something built in that's not right. You know they've got good national rules, um, but no, I, I'm sorry, I cannot put my finger on it. Okay, no, that's fair. If it's, I'm sure it's a points thing that's in there. You know, if it's, if you look at the fact that they can't get, there's there's a lot of player theory out there that you know the officer is a tax, so you have to take this 35 point inexperienced second lieutenant as a tax to get your army or to get your army started. Mm-hmm. The Germans don't have the option of an inexperienced officer. Right. Yeah. You know, so okay, do you, is that where it starts off? From, um, you know, is there this 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 false economy that people get drawn into that taking a light machine gun is a good idea? It's not, even though you get an extra shot as a German, you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't take them. Um, so then, that's a that's part of your national special rule that you're not taking advantage of. You're only seeing that advantage from your medium machine guns, and they'll be right. on your tanks and your armored cars. Transports. Yeah. Well, You'd want your transports, but then your heavy field car doesn't have one. Doesn't get one, right? No. So your truck gets one, but then everybody gets a truck with a medium machine gun. You know, that ma- everybody that matters, except for Finland. Well, everybody that matters. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you had, you had did Finland in this in this A tier here. I do. I absolutely do. I'm guessing um, that's their, that's their infantry that brings them up there. It's, it's their infantry. Uh, they're they're sort of. Advance into ambush situation. The you know from the Warhammer Forty Thousand old school players, the Space Wolf Scouts that they get that come yep. on from your your opponent's board edge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the, super the, vets with all the tools and you know patching themselves up as they're firing and shooting forward. They're all they're amazing. They're good guys. Um, it's their infantry that make them make them work. Yeah. Uh, but it's the player. It's the player that makes the difference. I've seen a lot of so um, Finnish armies played badly, um, but then I've seen Finnish armies played like you know chess master type level stuff, and you wonder, you know, <laughs> I look at my my own army collection and my own forward plans for you know what's after this army, what's after this army. Finland aren't on the list, but they should be. <laughs> but. <laughs> But they're not on the list because I I don't think I don't think I could make them work. 
their model line isn't really well supported either. That's also that's also a factor, yeah. I'm Very true. And I, think, I think you would see more finished players if it had a nice supported model line. Yeah, that's a fair call. Um, so yeah, so that, that, that second tier is uh, Germany, Japan, and Finland. Finland. Okay. Yep. How about so. the how about the B tier? I, I am writing this down after this series. Of, I think it's going to be very interesting to see where all these line up across everyone we talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to B, you would have to slot in for me Romania, Bulgaria, Hungary. Um, so those those Axis powers. The Australians will be in there because they're their own entity. Um, very much so. Um, I don't want to offend the Canadians, but you're not here. <laughs> nah, Canada, Canada are in there too. <laughs> don't eh? Eh? I don't <laughs> think you can. Oh no, of course. Oh no, of course. The Canadians don't get upset. No. Right. Um, They'll apologize if they get upset. Canada can be in the the B tier. Uh, I think that covers that covers B, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think those are all. Um, I, I would say Hungary. Only if you're using Fortress Budapest. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Y- you need you need the expansion books to make a lot of these um, minor axis powers work. Oh, I think Romania is so overlooked. Honestly, oh, it's. A you've you've heard me talk about them. We, at the very first WTC in Poland, we had Romania on our team. We yep. had a gun line, okay. and yep. we yep. went two wins, two draws, two losses. Yep, we are. I think that's one of the good, the I'll, I'll say meta things for Scotland is that the minor axis powers are well represented. We've Bulgaria, got they've got an interesting special rules that they, uh, yeah, that they your opponent, the your opponent cannot forward deploy anything. That's what it is. And they, yes. they, they cannot outflank um, okay. at all. So yeah, we've and got a local player that plays Bulgarians, and he is an absolute wizard with them. Um, <laughs> although the thing for him though, locally, he he doesn't lose games but he does generate quite a few draws. Like I've I've played him competitively oh, I'll say twice in the past year and both of our games have been draws. Um, you know, and we were going hammer and tong at each other. But we I I just couldn't bring it over the line. And um the thing was that he couldn't he couldn't get the win in either, uh, just because he was lacking that offensive capability. But defensively, he was just yep, couldn't get near him. So, um, yeah, when you come to Scotland, you will see you see the minor axis powers. They're they're quite quite prevalent. Huh, that's cool. interesting. All right, so what what got left down here in C tier, and then oh, Norway. <laughs> Sorry, Paul Walker. Uh, Norway are down there. Greece, um, you know, it's probably going to wind people up, but sort of France, Belgium, I would put them down there. Uh, oh, France, really? I guess for for the French, it would depend on the pack. Uh, but your your standard genetic platoon. You know, armies of, then they're in the bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, sorry to say, if you let them get a, a tank platoon, then they're fuck. 
fucking wild. You know, you'll, you'll see your five <laughs> FT-17s just, you know, pew, 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 uh, partying on, but you don't get that. Sorry, France. <laughs> uh, and you know what? Look, there's there's always the elephant in the room, um, Italy. Oh, you poor bastards. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm surprised they even made a tear at all. I really feel sorry for them. Um, but shit yeah. happens. Yeah. Okay. I don't even yeah. need to tell I don't even need to tell the experience players why Italy are there. They're all still laughing. Yeah. <laughs> Did I miss have I missed any nations out? Uh, Poland? Oh! Yeah. Poor Poland. Oh, you see, now that's a tricky one. That is a tricky one because... It, it matters if, you, if you're if you talking about Lancers or no Lancers. It does. It does. I, I'm going to put it down to... Because this is based upon my own experience. I'm going to put Poland with Lancers in the third tier. Okay. And, you know, I, I know that there'll be... A few connections, a, a few fits will happen around, but if no, you're experienced, well, Topher calm down after a while. Oh, Topher can calm down. He's, you know, we we speak. He, he's he's a, another one of these players that can bring one list up a tier or two, just in exactly. his ability too. Exactly. So, yeah. That and that's 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 what he's definitely done with the the lancers. Because if you're experienced playing against them, they're they're not scary. They're not yeah. a. That, that has always been my opinion of the Lancer list, yeah. yeah. Uh, cavalry in general, for that matter. Yep, precisely. In first edition of Bolt Action, Cavalry were the fucking bomb! They were absolutely brilliant. Um, because you still got the um, double, your, double your tough fighter attacks, so you got four attacks per, per horse. I'm sure that's how it worked, wasn't it? Yeah, it was tough fighter was double attacks. And yeah. then second yeah, edition, they went, they, you had to have a success to get another roll. Yep. Um, yeah, so crazy. Yeah, Polish Lancers and B, and you know what? I'll I'll actually put Poland in general and B, the the sort of the third tier of list. Um, okay. They can all go there. They've they've still got decent access to you know a few good veteran units and a, their army special rules. You know, thankfully they're not trying to run away from you. Uh, you know, the first sign of trouble like the Italians, uh, stuff like the Greeks and the Norwegians. They suffer from lack of options. As they should, you know. China. Eh, oh God, China would have been a lot higher. Pre or post fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, thanks for reminding me. Look, China can go into B as well. Uh, yeah, uh, I would expect this to be the largest one. Yep, yep. Um, I had the pleasure of playing China before the FAQ. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, play against them. I've never used them as an army. Playing against them, and. They were being used by a player of the middle order, I would say, uh, and I I knew what the tricks were and countered it. It was it was phenomenal. Like he, he was a good player, um, but I think he was trying to count on people's inexperience of using of of of, of the Chinese list. Sure. Um, and it didn't really work out for him at that point because I. I was playing Germany. <laughs> I was playing Germany. Oh fuck! I remember now. I was playing Germany, and I had a first lieutenant. because uh, I was playing into, as I've spoken previously, I was playing into the advantages of the different national rules. So I had a first lieutenant. I drew the first order dice, snapped to action. <laughs> All these other dice came popping out the bag, and so I set everything on ambush. 
Um, oh, and she was already close enough anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nice. So it's like, yep. There's a Panzer three ambush. There's you know a squad of eight guys with um, assault rifles. Yep. You're on ambush. Officer ambush. Uh, and something else went on ambush because you get an extra, yeah, an extra order dice for being Germany. Yep. So mm-hmm. Four units went on ambush. It's like, oh well. So, uh, <laughs> are you going to charge? <laughs> and he had to. That was the strategy. Um, you know, the bullshit thing for him at that point was I drew the next order dice and put something else on ambush. It's like, whoa, you're in trouble now. Um, but that strays from it. So, the Chinese, after the FAQ, they're in the third tier, sadly. How about uh, partisans? Jesus, you know what? I actually don't know. They're not <laughs> they're not first or second tier, so they have to be third. Okay. Basically, well, if you're not first or second and you're not Italian, you're in the third tier. So that's. <laughs> I, uh, I can't argue I, with that. I don't right? have the experience playing against them. They're just they're another one of those um, they're one of those unseen armies in in Scotland and. Okay. My my sort of playing experience, sadly. Uh, from my experience has been it's the player that makes the partisans yes because right. you you know a, a decent an okay player can do okay with them a really good player can do really good with them so and what sort of style list are they going for are they got tanks in there or uh, you, you know you, you can make it a pretty good horde army um, mm-hmm. and you can grab a lot of inexperienced uh, vehicles with howitzers stuff like that you know because they got the they can take German vehicles at inexperienced level and all that other stuff. So I mean, and bombs. If you're talking about an objective-based scenario and they've got the bombs, they got a built-in advantage with that. Yep. So, yeah, I guess it's, I'm, I'm sad to say to your listeners and to yourselves, it's not an army I've I've played against ever. I don't believe, um, and if I have, it hasn't been a memorable game. So yeah, it's a shame. But yeah, well, these no things happen. Okay, well, good. I'm interested to see how all that. I'm going to chart the crap out of that because that's going to be fun. <laughs> all right, well, let's talk about some of the rules in bolt action. What is what's your what's, what do you think is the best and or your favorite rule that bolt action has? Uh, within second edition, I've, I think I just mentioned that it's um, snap to action. Okay. I uh, I think it is. It was a great addition from first into second um, of the game. You know the extra benefit it gives the Germans. You know they get to snap to action with an extra dice, but it gives you that moment of, you know, you can really seize the advantage mm-hmm. and give you, you know, when we, we spoke about playing with the Americans, that rapid dominance, or if it's that moment where you, you know, there's one or two things you need to do, or you would like to do at, at a particular juncture in the game, and snap to action gives you that. I have. I'm a, I'm a big user of it, and the funny thing is, I hardly ever see it used against me. Yep. I think Jeff has said in the podcast more than once that it's probably one of the most underutilized rules in the game. Oh, I am all over it, and that's and that and that comes from people's army building theory from the very from the get go. Mm-hmm. Is because people look at the lieutenant as attacks that they have to take. You know, it's their thirty-five point inexperienced second lieutenant, just so he can start playing bolt action. Whereas I don't look at that. Uh, that's not how I go about army building. That you know, I, if I have to, if it has to be a second lieutenant, it'll be regular. Um, 
But if I can find the points to take a first lieutenant, I will take a first lieutenant. Because yeah, I lately, want. lately I've been drawn to the inexperienced first lieutenant. Hmm. Well, that's an interesting way. Well, he, he gets the, the command bubble and the snap two of the yeah. first lieutenant. He's got the lower attacks of the regular, and I generally am not using him to fire. I'm not using him, you know, putting him in harm's way. But mm -hmm. but then again, that usually, you know, points run out every time you get to the end of the list, don't they? Yeah. All that, <laughs> I guess that's when you're, you've got to have that forward planning of how you're going to synergize your list, how you're going to use it on the table. And, and for me, having a having an inexperienced officer just frustrates me. And, and people will subconsciously be trying to hide him away from being shot uh, as they should do absolutely um, so snap to action for me it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic rule uh, and it's one I've, I've used to, to my advantage as, as, as often as possible I was really gutted <laughs> I think it was quite early on in 2nd edition when the FAQ came out that said that you, um, you can't issue a snap to action order to a unit that's in a truck or a, in a vehicle yeah because really early on I was like fuck yeah so I had this um, combo of a, a German half track with some veteran, like a veteran pioneer squad in it and so I would have the officer standing outside and so like yep so my first lieutenant heal you know advance or whatever then I'll do an advance order with the half track and then an advance order with the pioneers so the half track goes forward, fires, then the pioneers come out, and then all of a sudden it's like, whoa! So it was just like this really. I mean, it was overpowered, and it, and it had to be FAQ'd. Yeah. Um, but it was. But it was awesome. Oh, it was so fucking good. When those, For a time. When those eight eight pioneers jumped out with a flamethrower and two pans of fires and. Pew, 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 some machine guns, it was just. Yeah, it was a riot. I loved it. Um, Sounds like a very one sided riot. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's these things happen. But well, what about the worst or least favorite role? Thing that frustrates me the most, it's uh, down. Really down. Yeah, and for for this reason, if I um, if I've got a unit that's twenty four inches away, and you're out in the open, and I'm just firing rifles, uh, and you go down. I'm hitting on sixes, so long range and down. Mm -hmm. I can accept that. If I have got a unit of um, a unit of guys within six inches of you, and I'm firing, you know, submachine guns or whatever it is, and then you decide to go down, it's like all of a sudden I'm, I'm hitting on fours when I should be hitting on twos. I think at some point you should be close enough. That down isn't a factor, is what I'm saying. Yeah, you know, uh, we we got to do a, a TTS game with Alessio, or uh, Dale did, and he he echoed some very similar comments to that as right. far as mm -hmm. as far as the down order and like uh, you're you're at my boot tips. How how is this making it harder for me to hit you? Yeah, I, I yeah. think it's insane. Like, and and we we jided him a little bit and said, well, only if you knew somebody who could write some rules about that. <laughs> that that to me <clears throat> is the issue with down. It should be some sort of range fact. At some point, it should just give up, you know. So, as you said, if you're within an inch, sorry, can't be within an inch, but if you're two inches away from an officer and you've moved and he goes down, it's like what? So you're down, small team, and I've moved. It's like yeah. fucking 
kidding me? Sevens? No way. Do you do you think something like you can't you can't use a down order if you're in point blank range would do it? Oh, I guess just something that yeah, point blank would be. Yeah, I guess that's a good way of, of maybe phrasing it. That if you're within point blank, going down, um, you know, doesn't make it. It, it would there would be no benefit to it. There'd be mm-hmm. no benefit to going down, or or if you are already down from a sort of previous action, you don't gain the benefit of down if you're being fired at within point blank range, or something to that account. It just it just doesn't feel doesn't feel right for the game. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're two inches away, and in, in the open. And you've got eight guys with rifles. You've walked up to this one guy that's just like, "Oh, I'm just gonna lie down here, and you can't shoot me. Fuck you guys." Like, <laughs> it just doesn't just doesn't sit right. And I guess it's because I've I've been that guy that's walked up and it's like, "Kiss your officer goodbye," and then you just whiff the dice rolls because all of a sudden it's you know, "Oh, small team, I'm down. You need fives. Oh no, you moved six. It's like bullshit. That doesn't make any sense." Yep, and that's when yeah. you realize it's like, oh, "I should have charged them." <laughs> So, you know, but that's that's with, the rule that that frustrates me the most. So, with that being said, do you think it's time for version three, or with all the FAQs and band aids, version twos or two point five, as it's sometimes called, is doing oh, well yeah. enough? Look, I'm very much of the version two point five. Okay. There's such a big FAQ errata document that mm-hmm. truly, if if you just massage that into the rules, and reissue the rule book with a nice index and contents page and what, what's an index? Um, I've heard about them <laughs> somebody at the library told me about them oh interesting um, I thought they were just you know talking fantasy fantasy stuff <laughs> uh, but they showed me what an index was it was really cool huh and they oh, and they, they showed me books that had indexes also uh, it was super impressive I don't know if it's uh, you know I don't know who invented them Europeans. It sounds like it'd make finding specific subject matter in a large book easier. Sounds like some kind of literary voodoo. I don't believe in it. Right? I think it, it definitely sounds like some Harry Potter wizardry, mate. That's yes, right. <laughs> Harry Potter bizarre. and the Missing Index. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, if they could do, if they could do that, like I could, you know, I mentioned the down order thing. I could live with it not being changed. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not the be all and end all for me. It's. It's never stopped me playing a game. It's never. I've never flipped the table in frustration about it, but uh, you know, I don't I enjoy I've enjoyed the stability of the rule set even going from first edition to second edition uh, was reasonably, reasonably stable um, you know, I didn't have to relearn that much uh, but yeah, just, just factoring in the FAQ document and yeah, if, if Warlord could do anything just address the piss poor, you know, proofreading of some of your campaign books before you let them out. It just shits me up the wall that the consistency of some of the units that they bring out compared to the the, the same unit that's already out is is different. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, points values change. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the uh, they were in Fortress Budapest first. The German mounted grenadiers, they get the special rule that they can test if they fail their order check to uh, embark or disembark a vehicle, they can re- recheck. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, yep. That exact same unit with all the exact same options reappears in another book. The D Day? 
truly can't remember what it was. It might actually be the Stalingrad book. Um, okay. But they're, but they're one point per more per man. But it's the same unit. It's like, well, yeah. what the fuck's that all about? Uh, and then the uh, latest one. Tax for being in Russia. <laughs> There's a lot of that, but it's just why when it's the same and. No, I, I agree. It's a, a complete oversight. There's, yeah. Uh, there's and been, the, the, there's been a couple the, units that have been brought to my attention that you know, the, all of a sudden they can become shirkers and now they're one point dudes. It's like, whoa, hang on, you corrected this in this book and now it's in this book. What? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the one that really got me was the Italian underbelly. I've got the Universal Carrier in there, and they are now stating that if you buy the Universal Carrier. The pencil mounted LMG, it loses all transportability. That's oh. why John asked me that question. Oh, shoot. That explains that text I got a couple days ago. He's like, "Does it take it out there?" I'm like, "Not according to the, not according to the Army's of book." Exactly, it's in the Army's of book, which has been out for ages. What it? Two thousand ten. Reprinted. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, it's like it's got other really cool additions. I think it can add like you can add a pier mm -hmm. into the, the hull mounted area of it. But it's like you've completely changed what this unit's all about. Why the fuck have you done this? And it yeah. makes no sense. Um, and the other one being the um, naval observer, they made it a generic unit for everybody. Yeah. Um, <coughs> but but the upgrade cost is eighty points. Or I could just go to the D-Day book and use it the same for 50 points right. if you're a British army. So I don't really understand what their theory was there. It's that, it's that sort of inconsistency that just... I don't understand why it exists. All you have to do is read it and have an understanding of your, your back library. Am I asking too much? Am I asking too much? It's the second glass of wine. I told you. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I see those things too, and I'm just like, you know, this, this is, this is why they said it's easier to just go armies of when you're doing the competitive stuff because, because these mistakes, I don't know if they're acknowledging that their mistakes are out there, then they're saying, yeah, yeah, we didn't do enough, so ignore those, or but they, the, they don't the want to do the work. Yeah, yeah. that's but that's the, tough. The, the counterpoint to that is there's so many good things out there. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you. I know we're, we're a competitive podcast episode, but if you do want to do something a little bit historical, the you know the Italian underbelly, the the German Falschmeier theater list, they're fucking amazing. They're yes. really good. Uh, you know the all the DD lists I think are really good. Um, the, oh, just yeah, the, they cut off so many so much of the good work they do. Based upon the little bit of the bad work that they they just don't want to go back and correct, and it's just right pisses me off. Yeah, I think that's a very fair assessment. Like the Stalingrad book, that's excellent. <laughs> I thought that was a really good book, um, but it still had those little niggling mistakes. Um, mm. But then, like, because you know, it's a good thing for the Soviets because they introduced the you can change out your free twelve-man infantry squad for you know a free and experienced armored car or. I'm sure one of them gets a free and experienced T thirty four or something crazy like that. Yeah, it, yeah. It just it it stops the variety that the game can have or should have by just poor proofreading and, as I said, poor understanding of your your back catalogue. It's just lazy. 
Fwah. Rant. Thanks, guys. Don't <laughs> well, we, we need to have at least one per episode, so that's fair enough. We, we uh, never go on rants, ever. Well, you should, because no. I, I think I've listened to a few. <laughs> <laughs> Most of mine get edited out. <laughs> Damn. That's a shame. Yeah, that, that, that has to be, that'll be released at the uh, the 100th episode special yeah. catalog, special editions catalog, Jeff's Rants. My rants, they'll, they'll never see the light of day. <laughs> no, they're already At burned. They they're already trash burned, buried. Yep. All right, so we also gave Alistair a little bit of homework to do. Mm-hmm. We're going to be breaking down Scenario 10, Hold Until Relieved. Right? Yeah. So for those of you that don't have your books immediately near you, it is an alleged attack. Oh, it is an attacker-defender scenario. It is yes. indeed. Uh, so one player decides to be the attacker defender. Defender picks long table edge and sets up any one infantry squad and one other unit that can be anything with damage value of 7 plus or less within 6 inches of the objective. Then nominates half his remaining units surrounding down to form the first wave. Any units included in the first wave, not in the first wave, are in reserve. Attacker is all first wave. Right? Yeah. So, good. so, so far, so good. For the reference... Um to the listeners, that's page 145 of the Bolt Action Version 2 rulebook. Should bolt they, Action Hymnal. Should they be, um, if they can't find it in the index, just to help you along. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Alright, so there is an objective. The aim is to control the objective at the end of the game. To control it, you have to have uh, artillery or infantry units within three inches. Where do they put it? Uh, oh, it's in the center, isn't it? Yeah, it's along the you Center basically line. place it on the dead center of the table, and then you get to move it um, six inches to the left or right along that that middle line. I, you know, this one is probably not one that I have played very often in tournaments. No, no. We get the the goofy one with the confused uh, or the confused fight. Surrounded, yeah. Yeah, we get that one oh, a lot. God, yeah, look, all the time. I am so glad that we are not talking about surrounded. <laughs> if you'd would have heard one of my rants, <laughs> I would have I would have cracked open a, another bottle of wine and rounded with you, mate. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, glorious, glorious hour of podcasting to do. So, what um, are what are your considerations when you're approaching a table and you win the role to either be attacker, defender, or pick table side? Hold until relieved. So, okay, so it's being attacker, defender, and it's an understanding of. Obviously, you're looking at. Let's assume I've rolled the dice and I've got the choice. So, yep. attack or defend. So, the defender, you're picking your table side. Correct. So, if I'm looking at it, this actually breaks. This is this is going to sound really funny to a lot of the listeners. Um, I would, assuming that there's a balance of, of scenery, um, and there might be a few sort of. There would have to be some area terrain within the middle, within that middle area, that middle sort of deployment section, mm-hmm. uh, where you can shuffle the objective close to or into um, into the area terrain. I would be I would be the defender if I could choose. If if the if the terrain was such that there was some area terrain that would block some line of sight in the middle, okay, um, then I would choose to defend and. Within that, I obviously, you know, holding to relieve, I get the choice of one infantry unit or an armored unit. I would have 
I would pick two infantry units that would go in there. And if I could put a small team in there, I would. Uh, and the, the consideration here actually comes further down in the mission, and it's how the it's how the attacker interacts with the mission itself. Um, oh wait, so the attacker isn't first wave, are they? They're all still no, set up. That's that's exactly it. Okay, um, I, I forgot about that. Yeah, because I know that a lot of people when they hear hold until relieved, they actually start to think about surrounded. Yeah, well, I just different. did. Um, yep. So hold until relieved. So your defender, I would place my two infantry squads, uh, hopefully get one in some sort of cover or hugging a wall or, or some such. Then the attacker, they only get to deploy infantry and it can be um, anywhere on the table, 18 inches away from enemy units. So roughly 6 inches up if you have a true 48 table. Yep, yep. And this is the point where there is usually a difference between a top-end player and a player from the middle order and how they do this. And the few times I've played this mission, it's usually been a player of the middle or lower order, and they will deploy, as the attacker, they will deploy units within my table half, which, as the attacker, that's, that's an error. None of your units should set up past the halfway line because... As I intimated, it is how the attacker and defender then interact with their reserves, and the attacker, the attackers, the other portion of their army is in reserve, so you're not going to see them until turn two. Whereas right. the defender gets first wave for everything, and as I have chosen to be the defender, I will have everything arrive in the first wave. Uh, okay, you only get half in your first wave as a defender. Is it half? Yep, but it, again, you can bring in your vehicles and whatnots. But the attacker is no, the only defender, the infantry. The defender, is set up. the defender can nominate half the remaining unit. Any units not included in the first wave of the reserve. Yeah, so I would have as much as possible. Yep. That must be the wine talking. Um, I would have as much as possible in the first wave and bring it on. And that's when, that's when you see that it quickly tilt. Uh, the balance of how many units are on the board at the end of turn one and it's that hope that your opponent who's the attacker has overstretched their hand uh, and placed units within your board half because as you bring units on you can instantly engage with them and start firing okay that would be uh, my thought on it so this one doesn't have any Bombardment to it, no perfect nope. bombardment. No uh, bombardment. Doesn't doesn't allow any advance deploy. Doesn't allow anything set up an ambush. No. Okay. It's it's a tricky one, because um, the two units that the defender is going to have in the in the middle of the board, it's an odd one to say that I would actually retreat them away from the objective. That. Retreat them away from the objective. Uh, to preserve them, just because there's no point trying to hold them there if they're taking if they're taking a lot of fire. It's actually to retreat them to um, to help them connect up with the first wave. So you go know, so go to meet the relieved and not wait to be relieved. Correct. That correct. Sense. That's that's the best term. Um, it's actually come back and connect up and. Form. Oh, that'd be that'd be like the one time you could use the Australian special rules. 
Yeah, yeah, fighting them. Yeah, where you can <laughs> you can advance backwards and go into ambush. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's well, there you go, Australia. You've got a scenario that you want to try and see at tournaments when you're playing. Yep. Um, but that would be that would be my, my goal for that. And the first wave, uh, a good amount of it would be um, vehicle mounted to mm -hmm. further extend the the reach that the first wave have of getting on the table. You know, so if you look at the Know, the um, American list that I've discussed previously it's got two three quarter ton Dodge trucks with um, engineers in it they would definitely be in the first wave they were going straight forward uh, to try and engage with the with the opposition yep. so yeah it's I'm sure a lot of players would would think being the attacker is the optimum but in my mind, this is this is one where you can actually choose to be the defender, and um, have a reasonable reasonable um, chance of victory. What did you guys think? I know you said you haven't played it that often, but what what would be your opinion? I'm I'm looking at this one, and my instincts are: is this seems like it heavily favors the defender. Mm -hmm. I mean, not as not as bad as some other scenarios, like uh, was that point defense? Oh yeah. That's Point defense. That's a that's a defender auto win unless you're incompetent. Correct. Ouch. <laughs> well, okay, that might be a little harsh. I'm getting I'm getting kind of hungry, but unless you grossly make a mistake, you should be able to win that as a defender. Or if you just or if uh, the attacker really knows what he's doing. I mean, it takes it mm -hmm. takes a lot to win that as an attacker. Huge it takes a lot of luck. It takes a lot. Of, it takes a lot of skill. It takes a lot of good dice rolls and good positioning. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I think it favors. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a shoe in for the same reasons I just mentioned for point defense. But I think yeah. your the attacker needs to be aggressive on it because they start so far back, as you had mentioned. Yeah, that's. I guess that's mm. something I never um, put forward at the start. Is that the two infantry units? I would try and push forward into my opponent's. Um, sorry, towards my opponent's board edge to push their deployment back in and again trying to adhere to the cover I mean, you do want to have some cover at the very least yeah. um, to give you some sort of protection in the hope that if they are a player of the middle order that they will think oh wow I can go anywhere you know, mm -hmm. and they'll try and bring them push them closer to, you, to your own board edge uh, forgetting that, that that first wave is coming on regardless, and it and it will come on uh, and start to cause some damage. Uh, that sort of, you know, that covers the deployment in the early game. Is that that vehicle rush forward? Mm. You know, so if I look again at the uh, the American list, there's the two Dodge trucks that you've mentioned. There would be, I definitely have the veteran Sherman rolling straight forward. Mm -hmm. You know, with the gyro stabilizer, medium howitzer, that would definitely start punching holes, and trying to trying to get the trying to get the order dice off them off your opponent quickly. To try and start to tip that that sliding scale, and that's something that we've we've not really discussed at all in the podcast. But it's you know trying to gain an order dice advantage um, at any point is is essential yeah. for. For any game, regardless of you know what the mission is, if you've got more order dice in the bag, traditionally that should be you know an advantage for you. Looking towards the middle of the game, 
as I've intimated already, those first two infantry units that would have been on the board, they've retreated back uh, to connect up with the, the first wave. And now you're cleaning up anybody who's still on your half of the board. Mm. And if, if you can imagine from from the defender's perspective, you've almost you've got a wedge aimed at the middle now of the board uh, with, with the two units that deployed first being at the tip of it. Mm-hmm. And it's at this point, you know, again, it's going to be, I'll say list dependent, but with the with the objective being close to centre, I would always still be encouraged to have a unit on outflank, just as a bit of a wild card. Um, sure. I think this is, is it more for a, for a distraction at this point? your opponent thinks you've got something on outflank yeah I mean I guess all the vehicles I've, all my vehicles I would have used in your first wave yep. Um, yep. to make sure so this is an infantry unit that will be outflanking and hopefully just sticking on to the side to to try and clean up any any support units any, if there's any howitzers or mortars that are lurking um, lurking around there Probably not actually essential. The more I think about it now, you know, I've, I've made notes and I've obviously played holding to relieve a few times. But well, what um, if you were, you know, so you can slide that objective to left or right twelve inches. Correct. Would that be the side you'd favor? As you're talking about favoring it and possible outflank units. That is probably a factor. I mean, because there's, as with all the missions and you know that you talk about in this series of podcasts, it's so much dependent upon what the what the scenery and what the table yes. let you do, so yep. yeah, you have to take that into account. Um, from memory, the times I've played this mission, I have always moved the objective to, you know, an extreme left or right. Mm-hmm. Probably, probably for that reason that the outflank um, is something that I I do prefer to do with at least one unit. Um, but yeah, if you if you do get to elect to do something, it is. It's definitely going to be to defend, um, and hopefully, if your sort of early mid game strategies have worked out, then late game you should really just be secure on the objective firmly by that point, um, with at least two units, and that's that's where the issue comes for missions that have got one one objective, is the having to to stop the threat of. The, the last order ice of the game being you know the whatever it is inexperienced commissar running forward and being within three inches and contesting it and it's like yay contested yep. sorry or or the the truck sorry not the truck the the armored car or the tank or, or something yep that rushes forward so you've, you've that's where you've got to make sure you don't leave any gaps and that's where you're and that's that difference between the the top player the good player and the player of the middle order is how they actually position their models. You know, do you, you know, if you've got a big infantry unit, don't just keep it as a blob. You know, you might actually have to string it out in a line so that your opponent, act, so you create a, an actual buffer that you can't get within an inch of. Um, you know, look at the terrain. And I, I have done this often in the past that if your opponent's got a wheeled vehicle, but you can put, you know, 
one infantry one infantryman on a road between a wall and a, a brick house it's like you have to kill that guy to get past him right. sorry mm -hmm. you can't move within an inch and you know, to the to the casual player these are all it's like oh my god that's so gamey but well, to the competitive player this is the this is now the difference you know, the, there's other things that you have to take into account as well. That be prepared to sacrifice a unit if it's going to block a path of lose an order dice. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! Intentionally um, you know, lose an order dice. Uh, that, oh, yep. But, but yeah, you, you should employ. Um, well, you know, generals do that. Did that all the time. Yeah. Look, one that springs to mind. My and my opponent um, in this game. He'll listen to this podcast. Because I will send him a link <laughs> to it. <laughs> but it was at the Scottish Nationals, it was the last game, and he had a, a pretty good Soviet army. And he had, on one of his flanks, he had he had a unit on ambush. It was a, it was a oh, some engineer squad. Because uh, he knew I was coming for you know a lot of his units that were behind it. And he knew I had outflankers. Uh, and on, on outflank, I had the motorbike. Uh, the BMW motorbike sidecar with a machine gun and mm -hmm. I had five yep. engineers and a heavy field car and I had five engineers and a truck with a medium machine gun he snapped this big squad on ambush and it's like right, he's just sat there and waited for it so I brought the bike on and parked it uh, two inches away from his unit and just said, okay, make a choice <laughs> uh, he, he knew what was happening he was a good he's a good player right mm -hmm. uh, he knew exactly what I was doing um, and he's like well I have to shoot it to kill it he shot it killed it and then I brought the other trucks on with the other reserves and cleaned them out um, so I sacrificed that unit to do it uh, and if it's coming down to protecting an objective if you've got an armored car or a tank you might just have to sit it and park it to block a, a um, of movement and let it get destroyed and become yeah. impassable wreckage. It's it's these things that you've it's these things that players have to think about to make the difference, and that's where um, that's where games with these single objectives can be lost, mm -hmm. or or you know a draw. You know you know what guys I'm trying to say. Yep. Yep. Don't frustrate yourself. That's that's the thing. Towards the end of the game, don't become complacent. You have to watch your movement. Because it matters. Absolutely. And then, if you're in good position, hope to God there's not a turn seven. Yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah, well, that's. that's yeah, unless you need it. <laughs> if you've done everything right and you are where you need to be at the turn six, hope yep. the game ends. <laughs> yeah, pray, pray for turn seven. Pray for no turn seven. I cannot <laughs> tell you the number of games I've had where I was at a draw or behind and got that turn seven and ended up winning. Yep. And did it frustrates it frustrates the opponent to no extent. Yeah. As you can it's, imagine. It's a good it's a good mechanic, but yeah, you should um you've always got to play as though as though there's one more turn. You yes. Don't I've I've seen complacency set in uh, set into players and, you know, I've managed to chase back losses to make them draws by um, the order dice kill count because yep. they, just, they just you know decide not to move the sort of 
units in the backfield, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, I've got a, I've got a, a couple of rifles that can hit on sixes, and it's you know it's a long shot, but you left it open when you really shouldn't have. So yeah, yeah, it's so, a tricky one. Mm-hmm. Yep, but it plays though. There's a seven, but make sure you're able to win if there's only six. Right, and that's hard to do, but you have to get good at it. But hold until relieved. It's not a bad mission, um, but it's not one that I would expect to see in a sort of standard tournament pack. No, I don't think it made the list for the Warlord competitive pack. I don't think it made that list. No, I don't think it did either. So, but uh, it, they, uh, you know, I think I might try to play it a couple times and recommend it because I, I recommended that they get point defense to blank out of there. Yeah, that was one of the disappointing <laughs> things about the. Scottish Nationals, they left point defence in there as per the rule book, and we played it. It was just... It was it was a tragedy that it was played. Um, obviously, I was quite thankful that I got I got the dice roll and I, I was the defender. And, yep, yep. And it just meant my opponent, a really nice guy from Denmark called Michael Michael Fage. Hopefully I got his pronunciation right. I'm sure he'll listen to this as well. He's, a, he's one of the sort of upper order um, players from Denmark. Quadruped or Denmark listeners just in this episode alone. Yeah, oh, they're good guys. They're, they're good guys and good players. Um, you know, you'll you'll get to meet them all uh, at the World Team Championship. Oh and, gosh, um, looking forward but, to that. Hopefully, oh, hopefully it goes off. I mean, good God. Yeah, let's let's keep all our fingers crossed. It's, it's yep. going to be yeah, no kidding. Fantastic event, and uh, the players pack. You know, it's a thousand points as many generic reinforced platoons as you can as you like, armies of books only, so yep, it's a red herring though guys, just letting you know that the the option on multiple platoons, don't don't fall into that trap two's enough you know, I've, I've, I've put together a couple different lists, and I've got one list I really like that is actually only a single platoon yep, I'm, I'm the same I've got, um, I'm building a single platoon list I, I think it, it it covers all the stuff I'm looking at, and I'm like I, you know, and I've I've run it uh, a variant of it a couple different tournaments, and it's it's held up even when it's got its you know big power pieces chopped out. So, yeah. Well, as I've said, and I'm sure other other players in the um, this podcast series that you're doing, it's it's the player that makes the difference. And if you've got if you've got a practiced list, um, you should do better than your average player that's sort of. You know, pulled a powerful list off the internet, right? That, that yeah. they haven't run with. So, absolutely, um, one platoon or two platoons—that's that's all you need. Although I have, mm-hmm. I have seen a twenty-seven order dice list. <laughs> Good lord! Somebody posted one up. I think it was five genetic platoons. They were Soviets. It was just ridiculous. It was five katushas. Oh no! I shouldn't say because they might take it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think I saw that one too. Yeah, yeah. just like, oh boy, like really, come on, uh, absolutely lethal. But again, listeners, if you if you have made it this far in the podcast, multi launchers don't win games. Sorry, multi launchers don't win tournaments. There you go. Yeah, that's a very good way to put it. Yeah, but flamethrowers do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, especially depending how this next ruling comes down. What's the what ruling is it you're talking well, about? Well, so, um, so there's it's, it's the multiple test thing. Yeah, go yeah, on. and this this will probably be covered on our on our next episode, um, which will probably go before this one goes out. So they'll probably never heard the answer. But yeah, 
be interesting to see how that comes down. But as we record right now, that uh, the decision has not been made, and I do expect that answer to be in an FAQ upcoming too. So. Yeah. Well, if it if it matters a damn, um, for me, it's one test. That's what we all play it as here too. Yeah. And it's so. the same as it's the same if it's your tank going on fire. It's one test. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Um, I think if it's any, if, if if they rule anything else, then it's just an additional benefit to a flamethrower that they don't need. They absolutely do not need, yeah, I nope. agree. No, nope, they don't need it. Um, so they should just really calm down, listen to, you know, the voice of reason. Uh, Which podcast is that on? I am not entirely <laughs> sure where the voice of reason is. There is a gap in the market for that. <laughs> we certainly could use one, that's for sure. I'm not so. quite sure who's brave enough to take that on board. Um, certainly not I. Well, well, I've got the natives are restless here. It's about dinner, about feeding time, and she's running around crazy upstairs. I should probably get to that. But, Alistair, thanks again so much for your time. It was a pleasure to get to talk to you and get to Seriously know you. I appreciate it, yeah. Good. I hope we all get to meet in Ireland in the middle of next year. And if, uh, if all goes well, I'm sure we will all get to play each other. Let's hope so. Yeah, definitely. Look forward to it. All right, and thank you to all the staff who listeners um, for taking the time to listen to this other sort of flavoured podcast. Hopefully the rest of the series will be um, better than this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all good. Thanks again. And uh, really All right. Good night, everybody. We'll meet again Don't know where Don't know where but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. Keep smiling through just like you always do till the blue skies drive the dark clouds far away.